You know, I've been thinking everything is uh, just comes together. It's me. I chose this. I chose all of this. This rock, this rock has been waiting for me my entire life. And its entire life, ever since it was a bit of a meteorite, a million, billion years ago up there in space, it's been waiting to come here, right, right here. I've been moving toward it my entire life. The minute I was born, every breath I've taken, every action has been leading me to this podcast on the Earth's surface. Doesn't it feel that way sometimes, David? Absolutely. Doesn't it feel like we're just stuck with which of us is the rock and which of us is the arm? Great question. I think You're sometimes, the arm, I'm the rock. I think it swaps yeah. sometimes, I think. It swaps. It swaps. Or the audience, on. are the audience the rock and we're the arm? Maybe together or yeah. or yeah. or sometimes it's the mm-hmm. other way around you know sometimes yeah. we're trapping yeah. them they're and stuck in they're stuck in here with us a yeah. name conversation sure. it goes both ways i mean like any good marriage mm-hmm. sometimes I can you're tell the you rock. my experience is the guest is the arm oh <laughs> oh well, boy well well that's true we're, I we're happy you're stuck here with us I don't know what you're talking about, Sean. I do not know a single person who has ever not enjoyed being on Hollywood Handbook. I cannot, it's certainly not personally, certainly not someone I was on the show with. I can't even imagine someone having, <laughs> it has to be brought up every time. I can't even theorize the adverse reaction someone would have. I remember, I just remember you telling me, I was like, oh, how did that go? And you were like, well, I don't know. Just uh, was sort of, and we could bleep that out if you want, but uh, you know, sure. it was just sort of sitting there and they would just be kind of like, uh, what are bugs? <laughs> and you <laughs> did not understand. First of all, first of all, I, I believe the question was, what is bugs? <laughs> uh, secondly, I Sounds think like a can, good show. A great joke. <laughs> it great, does. Sounds perfect. Funny. Diamond cut joke. Uh, I think people can look at the the history of times I have been on Hollywood Handbook and see the times I have done it with other people and guess which one of those people didn't like it. We can bleep out the name, but I don't think, with no disrespect to that person who was a friend of mine, but was not able to quite... Really nice guy. ...link into what was going on. I just remember how open he was about disliking it. Like, he just... Yep. (laughs) Both on my like during. during. This is confusing uh, sure, sure. for me because yes. you seemed like lovely people. That was his exact line outside said, of the show, <laughs> right? But then the show is so I mean, aggressively unpleasant. I know people who <laughs> like you. <laughs> I know people who like you. Yes. Yeah. So it's just a little confusing. It's also funny because that was maybe a forty-seven minute record, and he did come out of it looking exactly like Franco. <laughs> At the end of the movie, it was blood around his mouth. <laughs> Tourniquet, and he had he had severed one of his limbs, even yes. though he didn't need to do that. Right. Right. Dysentery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was sure. yes. He had various sores that had developed throughout the recording. Canteen full of mud. Look, this is blank check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. That was. I mean. I don't know if it's because it's a late night record, David, but you're a little slow on the draw there. I'm a little slow. I think I think I have some sort of permanent zoom delay at this point. I don't oh, know, boy. Griff. Like Oh boy. Well, don't you think so? I feel like I'm always a little I'm always a little delayed these days. I don't remember know. when we had to do this shit every fucking episode? Yeah, for and like do you two remember years? For, remember like a year and a half of doing it every episode, and for a good run of that, records would only start at 10 p.m. 
it was i think it was 9 p.m but yeah 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 what can yeah. i tell you uh, a health sca- look i don't want to I, I don't want to be overly dramatic here that was my 127 hours and i think it was actually mm-hmm. worse i think it was actually worse than what he experienced um but we tend to record in person now because we've learned the lesson of danny boyle that humanity is about sure. the connections we make, being there with other people. But occasionally we have a guest so fucking good. Well, we'll fire up the old Zoom. I feel guilty. I'm sorry. I wish I was there. No, I no, would love no. To you be should there not feel guilty. No, no, we, we no literally, guilt. it's fine. It is this fine. is this is a choice. We made a Big choice. We, we just choice. got back in the studio, and and obviously, yeah, and that's been, been that's been so exciting. It, it is. Yeah. I. It. It's been powering you the guys entire are... Western Seaboard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the fact that you and Kelsey can now banter in person on the flagrant ones. It's. It's oh. next level. Oh yeah, that that tension's insane. No. <laughs> yeah. Check out Electric. Check out the flagrant ones at Hollywood Handbook because yeah. now that it's in person, it's a totally different show. If you thought you didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a friend of Griffin's, you're, yeah. Maybe you're a well-known actor, and yeah, uh, somebody who's maybe, done some absurd comedy in your own right, right. Maybe it's, go it's, ahead, and dip your toe back in. Is usually really <laughs> good at committing very hard for long amounts of time to esoteric yeah. fits. Look, it feels maybe, like you guys were being silly. It's like, yeah, <laughs> but doesn't that? Kind of line up with your whole thing. Maybe, maybe if you thought you didn't like the show, now is a chance to give it another listen, or take a plane, fly back, do an in-studio appearance, give it another shot. <laughs> uh, look, this is a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. Sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce, baby. Sometimes they get stuck between a rock and a wall for 127 hours that's yeah in utah's canyonlands national park thank god after uh after biking around without telling anyone where you're going yeah like a like a fucking psycho like a i'll say it like an idiot like yeah, we can all person. agree that this guy fucked up right i know he yeah. his human spirit persevered and all that but like what the hell does it matter with this guy Producer Ben has a bit, he started, I, I hesitate even to call it a bit, I'll say, has a life philosophy that he's starting espousing on on Mike over the last year, which is whenever we watch, like, uh, any sort of thriller heist movie in which someone gets stuck in a moral quandary and digs themselves deeper and deeper into a hole, Ben always has the same takeaway, which is, if I was in this movie, it would end with me on a tropical island that I own. I would keep all the money. I would never get sure. in any trouble and I would be fine. No one would die. Yeah, I would do it different. Right. And the way I would do it different, it would work out great. Right. And I feel the same way watching this movie, which is if I were in Ralston, what would happen is I would stay in bed with Clemence Posey for the rest of my life. Problem solved. Yeah. That was the high point. Stay there, dude. Figure out the longest lease you could get. Order a lot of takeout. Don't go to the cave. Yeah. Are you outdoorsy, Sean? Are you an outdoorsy guy? Do you hike? Um, yeah, I like I I, I like the national parks. Usually, yeah. um, I I mean I have, you know, I, I have an opinion on 
on parks like this that are like rock and desert, which is I don't like them as much. Mm. Um, I want right. to be around big trees. I like like Yosemite and uh, I want like trees and rivers and lakes. That's what makes me really feel like I'm getting away. Um, mm. So when we do get like a little like uh, vacationy break, like I we went to Big Sur uh, not that long ago, like. I like to be in the woods. And so um, <laughs> went through. I do too. I'm went, with you. I'm with you. Went through Utah, drove up through Utah right before uh, our first child was born mm. and did a little trip with the dog, took the dog to some <laughs> to, to some uh, big, you know, hiking areas and, and went to Zion. But mm-hmm. did not mm-hmm. do Canyonlands, and uh, it's not. This landscape is just not my preference. I it's very beautiful. So, um, so I, but I'm just it, trying it just to look so dusty and hot to me. Yeah, I'm trying to clarify. Are you saying you are or are not a Zionist? If you had to <laughs> identify right. clearly here on the, it's unclear. <laughs> he did it, but it sounds like it's not his favorite thing. It was not how he would identify. Um, you know what? Uh, it's 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 a very it's a very uh, fair question, mm, and you. we all do need to at mm. some point take a position on this. I can Absolutely. no longer ride the fence. No, it has to happen on Mike. <laughs> on uh, blank checks, one twenty-seven hours episode. Look to finish setting things up. This is a mini series on the films of Danny Boyle. It's called Slum, Slum Pod mm. Million Cast, and our guest today from no, Hollywood it Handbook. It's not called that. Isn't it called Train Spot? Oh, you're right. Jesus. It's been a little while since we've done a boil episode. It's called Train Spot Casting. Slum Pod Million Cast was the alternate title. They're both good. Thank you. Wow, we got to leave that in, though. That's like alternate universe shit. That is alternate universe shit. You know, everything, everywhere, all at once. Hollywood's favorite movie, right? So you're kind of paying homage there. Yes, yes, yes. The 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 blank checks that could have been. Exactly. All right. No, sorry. It's train spot casting and introduce our guest. I'm sorry. I I'm now I, I'm know, now I imagining our everything everywhere all at once, which is just the timelines are exactly the same, except the names of the miniseries are different. <laughs> you have a and different there's no shitty title. No ripple effects. There's no domino right. effect of those changes. Just which dumb joke. Here's a, here's an existential question for the podcast. Do you sure. think the blank check system will exist anymore? Like, do you think the Daniels now will get blank checks? Yeah, no, right. Great you, question. Really? Yes. I think they'll get yes. to make I, like a movie, but they won't. I don't think they'll get like four bites at it. Like they they, used to. they signed a five year deal with Universal that I think is mm-hmm. very similar to Jordan Peele's deal. They feel like one of the few examples of because that movie was not just such a big Oscar player, but it was genuinely a big profitable hit Mm -hmm. and they made it so cheaply. I think similar to Get Out Universal is like, you know what? If you can make stuff for under 50 million dollars, whatever the fuck you want, you know, even 60 million dollars is a bargain if you can stretch your dollars these far. I also I and I think I can say this and Ben I will let you know if I can't oh, but wow. I'm pretty sure by the time this episode comes out it's fine. I just saw Bo is Afraid, the new mm. Ari Aster movie. Yes. And that is another one where you know, obviously yeah, he made it for whatever he made it for. It wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, 200 million dollars, but still really the, the the most classic example of a blank check of a guy being like I made you two hits 
Now I get to do whatever I want, and you do not get to ask me any questions about it. Like that movie screams, like you 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 have to get off my back. Like I will do. I'm gonna do everything you didn't let me do the last couple times. It's gonna be three hours long. It's gonna be I, not a horror yeah. movie. Like yeah. But in these, but in the in the filmographies you cover, mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes people get their blank check and then it just like uh, never runs out. E- yeah, it doesn't run no. out, but I feel like I, I I'd be curious to see in the modern era where it feels like there there's a little tighter leash on people where it's like because like I guess Damien Chazelle had a blank check, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah, that there's another but, one. Yeah, but it seems like post Babylon, just He's as a- it was difficult for silent film stars to transition yeah. into the era of sound, <laughs> maybe difficult. Yeah. Uh, to he's, move forward here. He's another fascinating one because right before Babylon came out, Paramount signed a big new deal with him and seemed really, really bullish. And my question is, is the conversation now Damien Chazelle being like, can I do my thing for $50 million rather than 100 yeah. Or if they're like, right. Damien, you have to make Quiet Place Part 5 and then we'll talk. Like, is there a conversation (laughs) that is like, Damien, here are our established properties. And if you pick one of these things that we already like, then we can have a conversation. Right. And do you want to do. And he takes on Ghostface? Scream Night. Like, here are the things where we'll give (laughs) you more leeway. Ghostface be in. Yes. (laughs) La La Land. Take them all the way to La La Land. Yeah, Ghostface takes Hollywood. I mean, that's, that's true. Oh, my God. Imagine. I mean, the Those things space killed wait, that, a jazz wait. enthusiast. <laughs> yeah, we all know what Chazelle's Ghostface movie would be. It would be Ghostface questioning whether he has the time and the bandwidth to have a personal life, or if, in order to become a truly great serial killer, he has to sacrifice all human connections. And unlike 127 right. Hours, the movie might come down on the side of just focus on stabbing people, be the best stabber right. you can just be. become the best stabber, right? Yeah. Um, wait, there's some. There's another blank checker, though. Our guest today is, is well, Sean Clements from a Hollywood Handbook and the Flagrant <laughs> Ones. Sorry, sorry, oh, I got us off on the tangent. No, no, David, it just occurred. No, to no, me. it's yeah. fine. I mean, I guess the real thing is that it's like if you make a Marvel movie successful, half the time that's not a blank check thing anymore. Half right. the time, no one cares. Right. Sometimes we, you know, like Ryan Coogler can do it, and then I'm sure he he could make something. Weird but if he Coogler, to. Coogler if he is Coogler is an interesting brothers. question for me. The well, the Russo brothers, and man, have they been putting those checks to good use? <sighs> I mean, those guys take risks, and they I, take I, risks. I, I yeah. mean, to do a movie like The Gray Man, like I, no one makes movies like that. I mean, you know, it's got The Gray Man in it. Um, do you guys see The Gray Man? Oh, God, yes. Three times. Yeah. The bank handed them the checkbook, and they went, thank you, we appreciate this, but we also wanted to ask, is there maybe a corner office? Is there a permanent position we could take at the bank? We'd love to get into the office. Can we shoot our next movie in your bank? (laughs) Right. A good double feature is The Gray Man and the... um, PJ Novak film Vengeance. Uh Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Vengeance. (laughs) Yes. Gray Man ultimately becomes about Harvard being evil. Uh-huh. <laughs> and all of the people, all of the bad guys met at Harvard. Uh-huh. Vengeance, written and directed by a Harvard man. Yes. And these are spoilers, so you guys can block uh-huh. yeah. this out. Yeah. Does result in the murder of a wicked Yaley. <laughs> who was who was 
who was the villainous mastermind of the film. And so it's like, you know, I and I don't know which side to take, but they're just no. both interesting to think about. And and in totality, you kind of get all of humanity featured in a Look, way. I prefer my movies to ask questions rather than give me answers. And I think you're you're talking about two films that are in a really interesting dialogue with each other. I just found out who plays the evil Yaley in Vengeance. I'm just looking at the Wikipedia page for Vengeance. I, I didn't yeah, know about Kutcher this. from Spread. <laughs> yeah. God, Spread. What a movie. Another great title, just like spread. Vengeance. Screw you, Van Halen. Spread them out. Uh, no, I, it, Sean, it is a conversation that I feel like we have a lot, and I feel like uh, 15 times a day, a listener will go to the Reddit or tweet at one of us or call us or show up at our door and go, does this person have a blank check or not? Uh, yeah, right. and, and it it is getting I, I think the examples are getting fewer and further between and a lot of them have like uh, huge contingencies around them and th- the thing that rarely happens is like your slumdog millionaire where a movie mm-hmm. comes out of nowhere explodes makes an ass ton of money and like the world loves it and it wins best picture and everyone's just like well triple crown like you've you've done it all no one is disappointed at this movie in any regard. We have complete trust in you. I feel like there are usually a lot of qualifiers around it now. And the Marvel thing, yeah, is weird because, like, I, I think we've talked about this as well in the past. But, like, it used to be a thing that if you made a Harry Potter movie, it felt like a lot of those directors chose to do it so that they could make their passion project afterwards. Yeah, that's right. You were, yeah. Right. Yeah. Post-Chris Columbus, it was like, okay, I make this, and now I'm Chris seen Columbus, as a profitable filmmaker. Right, like made Rent, and Alfonso Cuaron made his Harry Potter, and then he got to make Children of Men, and no one was going, well, we don't give you any credit for that movie. That movie was a hit because of Harry Potter. Anyone could have made it. The, the studios would go, you know right. what, fine, you made a movie that made like $800 million. Here, here you go, make your weird thing. Yeah, Chris White's making New Moon. Our friend yeah. Chris White's like that's him being like, I made a bomb. Okay, I want to prove right. that I can make a competent, you know, money making movie. Right, and basically, if you do that strategically now, they keep you on the leash for that franchise or other movies where they're going to keep you on a tight leash or or whatever it is. Yeah, or you make a profitable indie and then you get announced as a director of a new Star Wars movie and then you get to write around pre-production and then they go, wait, never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah. I do, but I do think, Griff, I do think Everything Everywhere is what you're talking about. Yes, it is. Like, I mean, I don't know what will happen, but it it is the slumdog thing. Right. So maybe... That's what makes them unique. And I, I think Get Out was close to that, even though it didn't end up winning Best Picture, but it was a similar kind of thing. I think Gerwig's in that position now, even without having won the Oscar... Barbie's kind of a half blank check because she's also like tacking on to a franchise thing. But then if Barbie is big, then she can do literally anything. Yeah, but this is all depressing. And I'm excited for Barbie. Yeah, of course it's depressing. But of course yeah. it's depressing. But, but the examples yeah. of the people we're yeah. talking about who only make original films, it's it's a it's a shorter and shorter list. And like it's Boyle is know, fascinating because like he makes the early decision in his career to not do Alien Resurrection and be like too yeah, early for yeah, me. Sean. Did you know that he was uh, he was the first choice for Alien Resurrection? And, I didn't and know he, that he's he was like thinking of, you know this is off like you know train spotting, and he was mm-hmm. thinking about it and he was like I can't handle the CG I don't know you know never I can't done handle a like movie that. star and, you know, like, forget it he he right. does life less ordinary instead and basically like decides that he couldn't pull it off 
and then in the last five years, well, uh, came very close to doing Bond and is one of these guys who actually had like the sort of wherewithal to go like, you know what? I can see that you're not going to let me make the movie I want to make. It's fine. I'll walk away. Like just, you know, basically at the fulcrum point where it was like shit or get off the pot. He was Mm -hmm. like, I don't want to have to do this if I'm going to have to fight for this all the time. So he's kind of actively avoided this his whole career, uh, not being able to make things the way he wanted to. Now, what I had heard, David, and I don't know if this is corroborated in the the dossier that JJ put together, but that there was basically a kind of handshake deal with Fox Searchlight after Slumdog Millionaire that was anything you want under $40 million gets greenlit immediately. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Right, um, and that's why uh, he does this movie because that. Well, we can we can talk about it. first. Yeah. I do, but it, but a true wanna... just like yeah, anything you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. You get to yeah. If you're gonna stay in the searchlight stable, anything you want, basically. Yeah. But Sean, I want to ask you about Boyle. I want to ask you your Boyle, your your overall Boyle feelings uh, as we're as we're thinking about him. You know, I I feel generally positive about him. Like obviously, I I mm. loved train spotting when it came out i thought it was cool i liked the soundtrack of it i was like this is great 28 days later you know thought that was cool i i think i just had a sort of positive like this guy's good he's making cool movies feeling about him this one for me like 127 hours kind of is really what sold me as like you know this is essentially a bad idea for a movie (laughs) like like sure to me like so much about it is like that won't work um and i saw it in the theater and i teared up in the theater it was like very like felt very emotional was like super invested in it and like didn't expect to be hooked and really interested, but just went because it was going to be an Oscar movie and I uh, had the time. Um, and then I was just like, oh, shit, this is this is really cool. And so uh, that it kind of pushed me over the top. Like, I think um, uh, put him into like another category for me of, of like, OK, this is beyond just like I usually like his movies to like, oh, this, you know, um, this person uh, is especially talented in a way that like connected to me, but I couldn't really tell you since then. <laughs> like, hasn't been the best run yeah, since. This I was like, movie. great. Now I'm all in on Danny Boyle. Yeah. Like, and then it was like, and then I don't think he's done anything else that I have had strong feelings about. Um, You're not a jobs head because I mean the other three, no one really. Few people have strong feelings about Trance, Train Spotting Two, or Yesterday, but Steve Jobs is the last movie of his to be polarizing. I liked it. I liked it. I, I you know, I, I was not blown away by it. Um, I know, yeah, I know it was polarizing. Certainly, I worked for a boss at the time who couldn't get over the fact that he like washed his socks in the toilet or something at one point, and no one <laughs> talked about it, and he was just like. This just can't just be a fucking scene in the movie that you're doing this and no one is doing, like you're not allowed to do that. Like this is one of the most disturbing things I've ever watched on film, and there are witnesses to it. 
And like, uh, yeah, so yeah, that he, has he stuck in my head as, as a take. <laughs> um, but I think I saw it and generally liked it. And it felt like sure. a little too Sorkin-y in spots. Um, but Fastbender's good. It was interesting. Uh, but yeah, I wasn't. Right. It there, was not like an A plus for me. Captured your imagination. Yeah, right. I didn't have really strong feelings when I saw 127 Hours that year for me. And I'm sure we'll go over. I can't even recall exactly what what did win, but I was like, I thought this was because of the um, level of difficulty and everything. I thought this was the best performance I saw this year. I thought this was the best movie I saw this year. I, I didn't. I'm not shocked that it didn't win, but I thought it should win Best Picture and and Best Actor. I, I I really thought it was like really good on a rewatch. Was it as impactful? No, but I when I saw it, I was like, oh, I think this is great. Uh, th- this was the Oscar year that King's Speech wins Picture, Director, and Actor after everyone had sort of thought that Social Network was the front runner for most of that season. If Social Network had beat this movie, it would be less embarrassing than yeah. King's Speech beating both of them. Looking back, I've watched Social Network multiple times since yep. it came out. I mm-hmm. I love it. It's one of the best movies I've ever seen. I think it should have won Best Picture that year. Th- um, this is a, a huge theater movie. Yes. Yeah. But the, like, my experience in the theater this was, movie is, was yeah. special. I, it, it's just, come on. You know, watching this thing at home... I, you know, and I know I'm like an evangelist for watching things in the theater or whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. We all we all like to watch things in the theater here, but watching this at home, like you're not stuck with them. Like so, it's so no. it's like uh, so it's much true. of the power of it is lost. You can just pause it, it and be like, yes. "Yeah, still on the rock." Okay, I'm gonna go get you know an orange. Yes, like which I did. I'm gonna be honest with you. It's well, hey, humble brag. It's one of those movies like. Uh, rear window where like you can watch it and appreciate the craft of it but there's something about like you are stuck in a chair in a dark room watching this guy be stuck that does really transform the thing i did feel like in certain ways i had more of an objective appreciation for this movie watching it this time. And I hadn't seen it since theaters, even though it obviously is a less like all consuming visceral thing. But I think when you're watching it, certainly watching it the first time in theaters, you're just so like on edge and overtaken by it. Um, but I, I also, I don't know if you have had the same uh, experience, Sean, David as well. Uh, I just like liked this movie a tremendous amount when I saw it. And at no point ever considered rewatching it because I was like, oh, that movie's impossible to rewatch. That's the other thing that, like, I wouldn't have rewatched it unless we were uh, watching it for this. I don't think I would have been drawn to rewatch it. And as I rewatched it, it was like it lost a lot of its impact because I had seen I had seen the whole thing. So, like, moments as you know, as you guys are saying, like when you're in the theater and he's like at the decision point to try to like start cutting through his arm or something like that, like things like that, where it's like, fuck, okay, we're going. And the way that the score lines up with him, like hitting the nerve, like all those little things, (sighs) they just, it's, it's so fucking intense. And you don't have that at home and you don't have it when you have seen and remember every beat of it and generally where they 
come in. Um, it's just yeah. not the same journey. And so I wouldn't put it in the same category as like, there are certain movies that I've seen where uh, they're, I think they're like expertly made and super intense and I'm so glad I saw them, but I never want to watch them again. Like, mm. like funny games or something where I'm like, okay, I don't want to see it again. Like, uh, or like bug. Like, I'm just like, great. Okay. Um, ah, come on, let's throw on bug. <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, never going to be like, let's throw it on. This isn't that, level of like fucked up or something but it is yeah. similar it is similarly like you're just uncomfortable the whole time and i guess i don't uh need to go through that again no and i will get to this in the episode but like fox searchlight made this catastrophic uh miscalculation in the promotion of this movie which was pushing how many people at festival screenings of this film before it came out fainted puked or both and yeah. they turned it into this fucking horror movie. You're never going to be able to survive this thing that genuinely scared people off. Where I think, as you're saying, the more the more exciting thing about seeing this movie in theaters was the fact that, once again, as you said, you're like, this shouldn't work as a film. There's no, it, you right. cannot how is think this of, compelling? how do you yeah. make a, a cinematic 90-minute narrative based around this event how do you possibly pull this off? How can any performer pull this off? How do you make this exciting? I mean, Boyle's whole pitch was like, do an action movie where the guy can't move, right? Mm -hmm. Which is in and of itself, it's like a challenge that he's presenting to himself. So, so much of the excitement of seeing in the theater wasn't just the tension of it, but being like, how, how does he film this? How does this film play out? What happens for the next 30 minutes? How will he show us the arm getting cut off? All these things that when you know, as you said... It takes a little bit of the juice out of it, but it is this kind of blank check thing that I love. And I think the fact that Boyle was already basically two decades into his career when he won his Oscar was not getting the blank check status at a very young age. He had already gone through being the hot young kid, having a bit of a fall from grace, coming back, having this huge hit like he's not saying, what's the one movie I've always wanted to make that they never make me make because of the size or the scale of the thing? He's instead saying, basically, to me, in my eyes, him taking on this movie is him being like, now I challenge myself. Right. Let me really give myself a fucking test to make sure I'm still sharp, that I'm not going to get sloppy, that I am like can push myself further as a filmmaker, which on that level, he succeeds wildly. Yeah, that's cool. Just one more thing on the first... I'm going to break open the dossier in a sec, yeah. but on the first viewing of it, you are... for Even even if you have been reading blog posts about people throwing up or whatever, mm -hmm. you are like, he's going he's gonna to cut that fucking arm off. Right, and right. so there's so much... There's so much tension in how... Yes. You know, you're just imagining, like, it's going to be too gnarly. I'm not... I, I don't... You know, like... And then, as it always is with these things, even with the most insane, fucked up horror movies, which this is not, it's it's what you imagine is worse than what you're gonna watch. Like you know, and once you've seen it, you're like, yeah. oh shit! And they tease it so early. They do yeah. when he yeah he, when he tries he the tries and in. the knife is too dull and it's like I don't know like that all of that like he puts it into your mind very early in the film like. I might have to try cutting my arm off. And so it is just sort of simmering there. Um, and then like, yeah, you're like, he's going to go for it. And it's, 
It's fucking bonkers. But I, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, it was a I couldn't do it. I'm just dead. Yeah, I mean, I don't correct. know how you guys feel yeah, about well, this, that, but I'm dead. I'm not, I'm not cutting it. my damn yeah. arm off. Yeah, right. right. I don't know how. I don't know how to like broke, break my legs. Yeah, I mean, break my arms, yeah. break my bones. I don't know how to do that. Right. Yeah. Yes, that's that's part of it too. Well, yeah, him having like that rescue training. Like, he's kind of a dumbass, but it does sort of... I don't know, for me, because I am a little bit outdoorsy, not too much, but you open up and he's fucking biking and showing people mm-hmm. like different like secret entrances to uh, cave pools. And you're like, mm-hmm. fuck, man, this guy's living the life. Like, what if this was my life? Just <laughs> just cool and free and know how to do a lot of stuff. That's awesome. And then he gets trapped and you're like, oh, good. I, I did the right thing. <laughs> like, I, Good thing I don't live this life. This sucks. This will never happen to me. <laughs> And then and then it comes all the way around to like, shit, man, this guy fucking is like a special person. Like he's he does a thing that yeah. uh, I wouldn't be able to do. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, you know, you're, you're talking to uh, uh, two New Yorkers who I think our idea of an adventurous getaway is to take the subway to get a sandwich, uh, mm-hmm. not go to subway take a train to a further I mean, place that has a better sandwich i look i am more outdoorsy than you Griffin. absolutely almost Not impossible to, to be uh, less outdoorsy than r- me. R- but yeah i'm kind of like a yeah let me do a day hike and is the is it basically a loop like you know do, how yeah. hard do i have to think while i'm hiking you know i like that kind of a hike like do i go up the hill and down the hill i get that yeah someone was trying to sell me on hikes the other day and I said, look, uh-huh. I like walking, but my favorite thing about uh, walking, and I'll walk for a very long time. I don't want to brag. I'll take a long-ass walk. But what I like... Mm-hmm. Believe it when I see it. Level ground. No you love incline. A, you love a flat walk? You yeah. should move to, like, Nebraska or something. You should really, yeah. like, level it Flatlands, out. Flatlands. The flats. I like, I like the flats. I like shade. I like walking with a parasol. Hiking rocks. Wildlife rocks. Yeah. I like all that stuff. I mean, my 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 family's from upstate New York. I would go to the Adirondacks every summer. That's but that's why I like a I like a lake mountain thing. I I have mm. never experienced dusty uh, crevasses, crev- crevices, whatever. I've never done any of that stuff. Canyons. I've never I've I never saw done canyons. Two bobcats when I was in Big Sur this last time. Well, Goldthwait. Then who's bobcats. the other one? That's my you joke. are so nasty. That was my joke. <laughs> you are so nasty. What do you? I try. What do you, Sean? What do you do with a bobcat? What's the What's the procedure when you see when a bobcat? When I see him, nothing. Yeah, what'd you do? Look at him. You just let him, let him, let him look. Yeah, flash up, looked down, took a little yeah. video, took a picture. Yeah, said what's up. Throw yeah, a shot. I, I guess they're not that. Yeah. I guess I'm thinking of like a cougar or something. Yeah, bobcats aren't that big. So I've seen them multiple times. Yeah, they're like 35 pounds. Like, but the Mm. first time I saw one was when I was in Yosemite, and I was like, you know, I'm at, I'm like taking a picture of like a big mountain, and I hear behind me like, oh, the all the frogs are starting to do their thing, you know. So I walk over to the edge of the water through this like off the trail, like kind of swampy area to be like, let me go look at these frogs. Of course, I can't see them, but as I get to the edge of the water, I turn. And we've surprised each other. Me and this bobcat are like <laughs> six feet away from each other because he's drinking some water and I'm peeking around, see if I can see some frogs. 
And we both, like in a cartoon, start like backing away from one another. And I was scared. Like I was like, I should be scared. And then I talked to like a trail guide the next day, and he was like, "They're like a cat. Like they're like <laughs> they're cats. Right? They're really At the end of the a day. little bigger than a cat. Like they don't want fuck all to do with you. Like yeah. <laughs> they just are like, dude, this is where I drink my water. Get out of here. Um, but yeah, so now I've I've seen a couple more and. Uh, I'm not as nervous. See, I watched this movie and the first uh, 10, 15 minutes where his life is quote unquote fun. None of this is appealing right, where to he's me. driving off road and right. he's biking and he's right. pal. What about palling around with uh, Kate Mara and Amber Tamblin? Here's why I would love to do that. A coffee shop. I would love to pal around sure. with them. I'd love an invite to that party with the inflatable Scooby-Doo. And I will. They'll say people are out back and I'll go. No, it's fine. I'll hang out in the living room. Uh, you don't want to like swim in a damn cave, Griff? Doesn't that look fun? I don't like swimming in The cave looks pools. pretty good. I don't like... Yeah. yeah. I've done that. I, I went to a cenote. That, that's the only Ooh. part of this movie that, that feels a little appealing to me, but I still wouldn't Wait. do it. Sean, Sean, was that cool, the cenote? I, I want to do that. that yeah, it was cool. awesome. Yeah. And it was like... Yeah. And it what there was like a little like makeshift carved into the rock like stairwell on the side and you walked up like whatever right. fifteen, twenty feet, and then you can dive in. Were you in like Mexico or Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> Wait, what's God a damn. cenote? Um, it's basically what they're in. It's like a cave pool. Yeah. It's like a crater oh, like inside of a cave filled with water. So it's like a really deep, like little kind of indoor lake thing inside Sick. the rocks. See, when when I watch into the wild, a movie I also have not rewatched in a very long time. Oh yeah, but I like that yeah. one a lot. I like that one a lot. It's a really and that good movie. One, and it's also associated with a really normal guy. Normal, smart. Good. Except I don't like what he <laughs> when he looks right at the camera and is oh. like, "Now me and you are hanging out." <laughs> I'm just yeah, like, no, "Why are we doing this?" That part can I go was fuck so itself. in it. Yes, uh, but that's a movie where I'm like, I'm sold on his thing. As much as the guy was proven to be kind of. Because well, he's yeah. No, wait a second, Griffin. That's because he's he's got your Morden outlook about humanity. That's no good. Thank you. No, but he's uh, wrong. He should. I, I know he's wrong. I'm admitting. I'm acknowledging that he's wrong. But his he whole is thing, more of a Griffin though. In that absolutely, he goes up there and then he's like, I don't know, should I eat these berries? And then he's like, Ugh, I I don't feel great. Like he it like sucks. starts. It all goes yeah, wrong. He has no right. training. Yeah, he doesn't really yeah, know right. how to do what he's trying to do i relate to that i guess that's the thing i can <laughs> right. relate to this guy but even the idealism of what he wants to do where he's just like this whole world is full of shit let me just fucking go to the forest with a van and not have sex with Kristen stewart i'm like i i can see all of this playing out make a belt with hal hallbrook yeah i like the landscape he's he's exploring more yeah um uh i i will just touch back on you know you saying both of you saying all of us saying we couldn't do this we mm -hmm. couldn't break our arm or cut our arm off right oh no i didn't i could do this <laughs> you could do it you would do it and it would work out fine you'd do it it, it would be great i wouldn't yeah. even need a tourniquet yeah yeah you ben you would do it like someone pulling a tablecloth like really fast oh, and none of the dishes so you'd just clean. be like Whoa. yep right exactly right. you'd make it out of there with arm intact um but one thing to keep in mind in these mm -hmm. extreme circumstance movies is that 
when you are going through this, mm-hmm. this is something to keep in mind for everyone. Anyone who has fear around like, what if this happened? What if I was in this situation? When that's happening to you, you are no longer you. <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the no, parts of your brain that are activated and deactivated during mm-hmm. that experience, the you that is evaluating how you would behave in that situation <laughs> has nothing to do with what would be happening in the situation. I, I understand what you're saying, but to play devil's advocate, I think I die through some set of circumstances before I even get to that point. I think I well, die. Well, sure, he's in a specific circumstance. I, I right. die yeah. leaving the hiking store. I I get hit by a car. <laughs> I faceplant the sure. bike into a sinkhole. Something I don't think I ever. I can't even imagine yeah. getting to the point where that survival the instinct bike is kicks doing in. you in. The bike yeah. does me yeah, in. That's yeah. That's you're not making it past the bike. I don't think. No. No. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's right. We we should we should crack open the dossier and start talking context. Yeah, let but me, I feel let like me, let me tell you the most important here. place to start with the context is just remember when we all fucking heard this story. It was such an insane yeah. news story because we've like we've covered some other movies like this where it's like oh based on a real event, but they're usually these stories of like a, a triumph, you know, some great or some national tragedy that happens over as drawn out period of time for this story to land of like this guy is rescued and then every newspaper and website in the world is like hey guess what a guy was stuck underneath a rock for 5 days he sawed his arm off he's alive now and just seeing he saw these his photos arm off with a pocket knife yes. too that was mm-hmm. a big right. part we were like oh shit right. with a pocket knife i think yeah. this story hits so big less even for the like triumph of the human spirit element and just for what we're talking about every single person read the story and went holy shit what would i do in that situation yeah so obviously that that happened in 2003 to aaron ralston mm-hmm. uh in blue john canyon uh uh, is that where it is? Blue John Canyon? Uh, Canyonlands. Blue John. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. Uh, GQ named him their survivor of the year, which as far as I can tell, that's the only time they've named anyone their survivor of the year. That's yeah, not I'm like trying to think of other category. survivors of the year that I've liked. R- Richard Hatch? Rob? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, we're both rushing for the same joke. <laughs> um, but, uh, Danny Boyle hears about this. Uh, and he gets the book. The book (laughs) book is called uh, Between a Rock and a Hard Place, obviously. Like, I mean, the the guy is wedged to the rock when he's like, if I ever write a book about this, it's called, you know, like that title, I'm sure. The one billion comedy points given to him upon signing (laughs) the book deal. Yes. Um, He... He reads the Boyle reads the book. So this is pre Slumdog, obviously, and he sends it to uh, this the the his executive Pathé Films in France, and mm-hmm. says, "I think I know a way how to do this. I know it looks impossible, but you can be honest to the event. You can show it on screen, but you can do it in a way the audience will tolerate it. Like mm-hmm. do this immersive experience." Um, and they basically say, "Go fuck yourself," right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, other people had thought about it. Um, Ralston had himself 
gotten together with Alex Gibney, who's a guy who makes like two documentaries a year mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. to try and make a documentary about it. And weirdly, they couldn't get financing for it, which seems odd to me because one, it's a documentary. You don't need that much money. And two, Touching the Void had just come out and was like yeah. such a hit. And I feel like there was probably some like interest in these kinds of like, you know, extreme tales of, you know, of uh, the wilderness type documentaries but i don't know maybe i don't know it's Um, bizarre yeah yeah. are you at all like just as we talk about this guy and his experience do you have any like i don't know if it's skepticism but like do you feel a certain type of way about these people who like have something crazy happen and then they just cash in on it in this major way like i guess you know, it's a life-defining experience. It's an interesting story, but doesn't it feel a little weird? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I look, feel, we, we yeah. will we will get to it. But a thing okay. I found really fascinating was digging in to this guy's life for the last ten years uh, since the movie came out, and yeah. uh, it played out a lot differently than the note the movie ends on. Yes, yes. In I caught every that as well. Sense, yes. But I also feel like when we when we were all younger, this was so every year or so. It's kind of the Oprah type thing, not to diss Oprah. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, just but like these people with their sort of like tales of triumphant woe coming on, telling their story. There's something moving about it. There's something kind of compelling and frightening about it. And then they it. get turned into motivational figures. It becomes yes, sort of a life philosophy thing. and then they get put on thing. that track. Yes. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Are, you know, the great American heroes, Jared from Subway. Uh... Well, the Cheshire murders, you know, happened in my hometown. Really? Yeah, that's where I grew up. It was like across the street from one of my best friends. Wow. And that... And that, um, for people who don't know, was like an in cold blood type like murder situation. But just in- invoking Oprah, the this the husband, the dad was a doctor. These two people like went in, like you know, beat him up, left him in the basement unconscious, um, did horrible stuff, murdered the rest of the family, set the house on fire, and he woke up and like got out of the house. That. Uh, became like an Oprah story and he got interviewed. Now he was already, I guess, a, a very successful doctor and stuff, but I, to my knowledge, he never became any kind of speaker on it. I guess it's not as much of a story of like triumph or something as some of these that we're talking about. Right. Like what's, what's the life lesson? Yeah. Well, what was interesting to me is when he did Oprah, I think on like almost everyone else I saw, she was like, and can you find forgiveness in your heart for these men? And he was like, fuck, no <laughs> fuck yeah. these uh-uh. guys no forever. i hate them like and just like yeah. never would give would not give oprah an inch Love like right i relate to that but yeah. no but that's it, it's now i guess that's all on tiktok i'm not saying that like Oprah this is what i was gonna say anymore. no i do think you're onto something david that there's something to the speed of the press cycle yeah also too is yeah. like it used to be there would only be a couple stories of this scale that hit at the right time that broke through in such a big way and then there would be like at least 
a nine-month victory lap sort of like tour of all the major outlets leading in the book, right, where they would just stay top of people's minds uh, long enough to be awarded Survivor of the Year by GQ magazine the following year or whatever. Now it feels like these things happen a lot faster. You're forgetting already people who were like this two months ago, you know? But I guess you got to be the right person, like a person who's compelling, yeah. who like want and who wants to like do the circuit and make it their life. And there has to not be like another news story that knocks you out of the conversation. Hard yes. to become this person right, like right, right. during COVID. Right. Like, <laughs> would that have been on the fucking news if somebody got stuck and it could be like... <laughs> What were you doing? Get inside. Yeah, yeah stay home. Like, <laughs> like, asshole. You know, I just think it's, yeah. Just stay down there. Suits your We right. used to have time for these stories. We don't have time for this shit anymore. <laughs> I assume not, neither of you have read his book, Between a Rock and a Hard Place. I have not. No, but the title's still getting to me. Yeah, it's a good title. Yeah. Um, in the book, he alternates chapters between being stuck down in the canyon and like his past, his family, mm. his home life. And Danny Boyle, who had already run into this problem, he tried to make uh, a film about a big fire in Massachusetts, 3000 right. degrees, and that had fallen apart because the families of the, you know, the the people who had died were not into it. And he's like, I'm nervous about meeting this guy because I'm going to cut all the other shit out. I don't want to do anything about his family like i don't want to do alternating between you know like i don't want to take mm-hmm. those breaks because my whole idea for this movie basically is to really not vary the tempo of it all and like you know stick with him down there mm-hmm. and go on flights of fancy in his brain but like don't like cut to five years ago or whatever yeah so david what 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 were the the other i mean can we get into details here and what the changes were yeah, that i'm always made curious what like what they kept from the book whenever they adapted right okay like what's in and what i feel got like we usually off. breeze over this and i feel like why not take the time right. to actually like account for it right. page so by chapter page. one yeah you think i should like just start yeah right. okay okay JJ did it, right? right? He gave you the the material. Yeah, yeah, he gave, it's all in here. It's okay. all in here. It's a yeah, it's a four hundred and fifty page dossier. Right. Yeah. One day has gone by. Uh, we should mention. I feel like uh, mm. we forgot to set this up at the beginning of the episode. Obviously, we, we've all been saying none of us could imagine living through what Aaron Ralston did, but we want to sort of, out of respect and deference, uh, try to simulate the experience as much as possible. So we are attempting to make this our first 127-hour uh, episode. Now, obviously, there right. are two right. camps that are constantly warring in the blank check listenership, uh, some who think the show has gotten too long and some who think right. the show is too short. But regardless, right. to honor this movie in particular, it's just, it'd be silly to let it be less than, I don't know if we'll make it the full 127 hours, it's but the it should goal, be at least though, 115 at least. hours. Yeah, so we're one day in now, right, and David, like, right. I appreciate you taking the time yeah, to explain so, all the changes from the book. And like, the thing about all those changes is what gets Boyle the credibility to make them is that he just won a bunch of Oscars, because like, at first, Ralston's like, I don't want to do it. But after Slumdog, he basically is like, look, I'm Danny Boyle. You know, I want to be in the John Ralston, uh, sorry, Aaron Ralston business. So, you know, he couldn't say no. I guess that's sort of the way it, 
That's he wants to be in the Aaron Ralston business. They were thinking franchise at that point, right? Well, with respect, um, some of the changes that you went through, and I, I did appreciate how thorough it was. Mm. Some of them were a little boring. Um, yeah. Just like I didn't, you know, it was some of it was just like care. small wording things. Even your but, delivery lacked a little pizzazz, but go on, Sean. Yeah, yeah, it seemed like you weren't as interested. <laughs> but the main one, right, is that like the that what he actually he met two uh women on a hiking mm. trail and yeah w- uh, apparently he showed them some basic climbing moves which like yeah he did not show them a magical cave yeah a secret like entrance to a magical cave that they dove In, into this, until like, they all became way. naked yeah yes yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. This kind of like you jump, I jump, Jack, you know, where it's like a trust <laughs> fall thing. Right. Yeah. And by the way, when they are jumping, it looks like they are scraping the fuck out of their fucking back. Mm. Does it not, does it <laughs> yes. not look like yes. their back would be yeah. ruined? Yes. That looks <sighs> so unpleasant to me. I know Ben would enjoy it, but I but I wouldn't be able to do it. Um, <laughs> I'd slide right down. Smooth sailing. <laughs> It looked, it looked like it would hurt, but you know, you hear that Danny Boyle wanted to change it. That Aaron Ralston was like, "No, it has to be the climbing holds." And you're like, "My brother, <laughs> have you ever watched a movie? <laughs> like, we're asking a lot of people already. For once um, in a goddamn life, stay home, sit on a couch, watch a movie, and figure out how they work." Yeah, maybe he hasn't seen a movie. Maybe um, he hasn't. Yeah, it doesn't seem like his what he's interested in, but um. It's a, it's a great change. Mm. Like, it's just correct. It's very correct. It's necessary. It's beautiful. Genuinely, like it just looks nice. And mm. I think you need some sense of this guy is this kind of like vibrant, sort of winning personality, right? Like, mm-hmm. like otherwise, I don't know. Maybe you're just kind of not with him from minute one. Like, right? Like, you just kind of need him to be charismatic for a second. You, you need one sequence where he's charismatic. Yeah. Yeah, that he's charismatic and that there's life. There's so much life waiting for him. Like, these right. these girls are into him and they invite him to a party. Like, like that he's, like, missing out on something. Like, you, you want him to get out. Because you're it's like, kind of ingenious because it's it it makes it both like a paradise lost sequence where then when he's in the shit he can keep thinking back on like how recently I had it fucking made like I was yeah. in this perfect movie scene and then the alternate right. of that is like the sliding door of him being like and if I had just stayed in that I'd be fucking partying with a blow up Scooby Doo now. Watching this tape of these two ladies telling me they think I'm cute and I can do nothing about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you need that. Yeah, no, because it's smart to not start the movie with him being like, Mom, Dad, I'm thinking about going on a trip. It's better to start with him leaving his house, right? It's better to start in the swing of things. You do need to see him engaged with other people for five to ten minutes and have him be charming. And just get this sense of him as like, He's like this nature sprite. He's like just this weird creature, you know, who's sort of joyful yeah. versus, say, um, you know, uh, the into the wild guy where it's like, OK, this guy is in search of something he will never find. This is like bleak, somewhat relatable, sad, but he's just trying to walk to the end of the earth or whatever. That's mm-hmm. not what this, you know, Danny, uh, Aaron Ralston, he's he's just a fun loving guy. 
guys, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I just I have some bad news. I feel the need to inform uh, the mm. the the podcast. Um, a a recently uh, established character in Blank Check lore, who only makes appearances when we do Zoom episodes, has in fact returned <laughs> at 9:39 p.m. on a Thursday night. The naked guy who lives directly across <gasps> the street from me. What? Is walking around fully naked, eating yeah. dinner. He is naked. Oh yeah, dick out, yeah. pacing back and forth, holding up a bowl and a fork. I think he's eating pasta. <laughs> he's eating and he's pasta. just he's fucking eating pasta standing up. He is walk. He's pacing, fully <laughs> naked, eating dinner. I gotta be honest with you guys, and I I consider myself a fairly free and. Not modest person. I have sure. never eaten dinner naked. That is not no. something that seems appealing to me no. at all. Here's what I I never want to happen. I Accidentally no judgment, but spill just... food on my penis. And that is yeah. that's a moment of such deep embarrassment. If you have gotten to that situation, there there are multiple layers that are supposed to shield you from that ever happening. <laughs> right. Well, maybe that's why he's not sitting down. Maybe. You know what? You're right. Uh, but yeah, no, just pace it back and forth. to drop it in your lap. No, if I'm eating, if I'm eating in the nude, mm-hmm. something has gone wrong. <laughs> if I'm eating dinner, yeah, walking right, around, right, right. something has gone wrong. <laughs> right, this if is I am a, that's also true. Right, yes. dinner in the nude, and you can see me. Yes, send for help. This is almost a 127-hour situation of the series of bad decisions that have led to mm-hmm. this moment. And I want to make it clear, this isn't like a uh, uh, Jerry Maguire, uh, he and a lover sitting across from each other, naked, feeding each other strawberries or whatever. This is a methodical pacing back and forth, <laughs> bowl, fork, penis, <laughs> nearly I mean, 10 p.m. on a know. Thursday night. Wow. I'm just fascinated. I'm glad he's back because, you know, just kind of keeps the zooms fresh to have our version of this character. It's friends, nice to basically. have a guy. Yeah. To have a guy. All right. Okay. Let me give you some more facts from the dossier. Okay. Apparently, one Please. thing that uh, Boyle is is thinking of taking on post Slumdog is a remake of the Park Chan Wook film Lady Vengeance. Yes. Uh, glad he didn't do that. Um, and we uh, talked about this is... in the Slumdog no. episode, but he, uh, what is it? The, he buys the rights to the book, uh, the Mumbai book. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, we talked about this in the Slumdog episode. And set up at Fox yeah, Searchlight. He, he bought... And at one point claimed that was going to be his next movie. And in retrospect, it sort of feels like he bought the rights to pay off the author for not suing him for taking a lot from Slumdog. Yeah, this nonfiction book about life in right. Mumbai. Yeah, that's conjecture. I don't know. Uh, yes. But um, but he still hung up on this story, which mm-hmm. he had thought about years before. He takes it to Simon Beaufoy and uh, Christian uh, Coulson, who he had done Slumdog with, and he's like, eh? Uh, and Simon Beaufoy, Beaufoy, apparently a climber, and okay. he is initially skeptical because he's, I guess, just kind of like, ah, come on. I, I mean, for whatever reason, he is... Simon Boy Beaufoy just doesn't like the idea of doing a climbing movie in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but he Boyle convinces him on the degree of difficulty. 
which I feel like is how he gets everyone on board where he's like, the fact that it's hard is the interesting thing about it. Right. You know, that's how yeah. he just keeps uh, getting people to sign on. The the other um, thing I, I read is that uh, he said this in an interview, but you know, Slumdog is making the Oscar rounds the same season as the wrestler. And apparently Boyle was, you know, he's, he's going to all these events yes. with Aronofsky and Rourke. And he's like, that's what I want to do next. I want to do a movie that's all about one performance like that to mm-hmm. build a movie exclusively around it and find the right person for it. That feels like a fun challenge for the next one on top of all the other sort of narrative technical challenges of this particular piece of material. Um, yeah, yeah. I, Beaufoy compares it to like Samuel Beckett or whatever. He's not saying I am Samuel Beckett, but he's saying like, I'm trying to think of the action from like a Beckett play, like Endgame, where no one can move, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, you're interested in emotion psychology, trying to understand someone's feelings without any like dynamic action happening. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, the next thing I'm interested in essentially is, uh, is the actor, uh, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, I don't, I, where's, I mean, we got to talk about him. Where's James Franco we gotta at talk right about now him. when they're bringing him? I mean, it's post Spider-Man trilogy. It's post Milk. I feel like Milk it, was it, kind 2000... of when he felt like a more serious actor. Milk yeah. and Pineapple Express. Legit. Right. It's, it's right. Uh, right. Pineapple Express comes out that summer. He hosts SNL as he's starting his first semester at his first university. And it's sort of like, oh, this guy's finally had a hit. Everyone has now realized he's funny. Now he's got this weird press cycle around him being like, actually, I'm stepping away from Hollywood. I want to take courses. And then Milk comes out that fall. So that's like his 2008 year where suddenly he starts to get elevated. He came onto the scene, right? And like Freaks and Geeks or whatever. It's Mm -hmm. like this guy's like... A pretty boy. Like, he's the good-looking guy on the show. He's James Dean. He's the brooding. Yeah, then he played James Dean and, like, uh, and sort of was like, is he trying? Does he think he is James Dean? He's sort of (laughs) acting like that. Like, he's, like, stuck in the role or something. I And I think he was, whatever, worried about or potentially could have been written off as, like, this guy's just, like, a handsome guy who was, like, a young actor and then... Kind of set out to be like, no, I'm a real artist. And right. I think with with Milk, with, you know, by by playing against type in Pineapple Express, which is like, that's a goofy movie. He insisted right on playing the bigger character. Right. He was supposed to play the Rogan part. That's how it was written. And he insisted this is the one I want to play. And I think yeah, he had... swing and he and he did it like he like achieved, you know, what he wanted. People were like, oh, this guy's got serious chops, you know, and right. then this movie is like so again for boil so hard so hard for for franco for any actor to do this shit where you're fucking talking to yourself what a nightmare it's so easy to look so dumb giving this performance uh but yeah no he i mean he had a weird career arc because i mean everything you're saying but it's like spider-man was so big and so big at a point in time where there weren't many franchises that big 
So even being the best friend in three Spider-Man movies kept him in the consciousness for long enough. But then in between those movies, he would do these sort of like failed leading man programmers like Tristan and Isolde Mm -hmm. and Annapolis, where it was like, what is this guy? Does he have any personality whatsoever? And then another Spider-Man movie would come out. You'd be like, okay, well, he's got this at least. And then there's that like unexpected Apatow ascendancy suddenly all the people he worked with the guy who ran his show all become like these power players in hollywood and it's this thing of like oh we could take franco who's now almost looking like a failed dramatic leading man and reclaim him as a comedy guy uh mm-hmm. and and yeah and then he ends up saying give me the funnier part i want to do more of a character performance boyle i have read him say in interviews that uh Pineapple Express is the reason he ultimately cast him. That, like, his commitment to Pineapple Express, he said, I watched it and realized this is a major actor. Uh, Obviously, Franco wasn't his first choice, but yeah. Yeah. Well, who do you think his first choice was? Shia was the first, or was it Gosling as the first? Okay, I knew those were the two guys for a while. But was he going to do it with Kelly Murphy, too? Like, yes. Um, he, he, uh, talked about it with Kelly Murphy, I think, but that went nowhere. Um, Shia LaBeouf, there were like unsubstantiated rumors about Ewan McGregor, but I don't think those are real. That's just something people kind of, you know, would just say about a Danny Boyle project. Uh, Shia LaBeouf, it does seem like was the most serious contender. Then he was in like a car accident. I feel like holes in this. (laughs) Could you do the, could you do both of those? Really? No. No, would, you got to pick. Yeah. His agent's like, Shia, no, no. Yeah. You need mountains, if anything. No more. Nothing yeah. down. <laughs> yeah. Um, go down in a hole, uh, man. Uh, and Griffin, you're right. Gosling, Ryan Gosling. I mean, these these are sort of obvious names for, like, who yeah. were the hot young guys of 2010. Um, he had liked him, uh, Franco and Milk and Pineapple Express. Apparently, their first meeting was terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Danny Boyle. Quote, I was convinced he was stoned. He hadn't even finished reading the script. Uh, uh, but he swears he never touches anything. And knowing him now, I think it's his way of sussing people out. He pretends to be out of it when, in fact, he's watching you to see what your reactions are. I mean, what he seems to be describing is like America's relationship with James Franco for much of his career, which is basically like, is this guy just fucking an idiot or is this some weird game? Either way, I don't like it. fucking with me? He's fucking with me, right? Exactly. Or is he like Chauncey Gardner? Like, there's this question of like, has has he tricked everyone into thinking that he's some intellectually activated guy? But really, it's just like A to B. But when you mentioned like his commitment in Pineapple Express and that being impressive, and I do think of, but I think of this movie and more than Pineapple Express, I think this and Spring Breakers. Yes. Yeah. Are just connected in my mind of like two performances that if you miss by like an inch, yeah, you look so fucking stupid. And to me, (laughs) I think in both of them, like he's incredible. I think all three of those performances, 127 Hours, uh, Pineapple Express, Spring Breakers, I would nominate all three of those for Academy Awards, and I would give him at least one of them, depending on competition within the year. Like, those three performances are incredible. And as David and the degree always of says, difficulty is, yes, is so high impossible. on all of them and, and nailing them. But also, when he does, like, 
Great and Powerful Oz or something. Or he does a movie where he's like, I don't think this is good. And I don't think the part's interesting. He just reads it. We, we did Oz right? on the podcast and, and David the made the point. Out. Right. It's He's a feast or famine actor where there's almost no right. middle ground whatsoever. Yeah. Where like those three performances are so difficult. Most people would crumble under them. He goes above and beyond. And then there are times where you're genuinely like, do you know that the cameras were rolling? Yes. Did you know that this was not a, a blocking rehearsal? Completely phoned in. And a movie like yes. that too, right? Big budget movie where he's like, okay, taking the paycheck and I'm just going to fucking right. get through the process. It's th it's that. It's Rise to the Planet of the Apes. Right. It's, it's, there's like, you know, these movies where it's yeah. just like, whatever he thinks, whatever I think of the movie, this guy doesn't like it. Like, this guy is not interested at all in this movie. I, but I even think there are some of the tiny indies that come out after this, the, the ones that sort of made no impression whatsoever, where it, it feels slightly the same way. I mean, part He's of like it, too. Faulkner or whatever, yeah. Right. Part of it is he just starts this thing of, like, I am the most productive man in the world. I can do everything at the same time. And most people who would be daunted by the idea of adapting Faulkner period he's like i can do that in between classes classes i'm teaching yes. and taking this is setting up my joke so i'll tell you my famous james franco joke from the roast of james franco okay you so, this was a joke you wrote that was rejected from the roast correct no, no, no it, but, this joke made it, it to air. oh well okay. so so i um had in 2010 uh worked on a cartoon called alan gregory jonah hill was the main voice um show bombed but jonah was very uh nice to us very funny guy and then um around the time that their comedy central was doing a roast of james franco uh he had myself and some of the other writers from the show over for like have pizza and like pitch some jokes like possible jokes and so i had he was one of the roasters right jonah he was yeah, yeah he was roasting uh he was on stage roasting franco I was there, Hayes was there, and and we all like kind of like had some laughs and pitched some things, but I had one joke that I pitched that made it to air. I don't remember what any of the other jokes I pitched were. I don't know if they got performed and they did well or bombed or what, but um, the joke, as read by Jonah, he may have reworded it to make it better, I don't recall, but he goes up and he says, you know, there's an old formula in Hollywood, which is... You do one for them and one for you. But James has a little bit of a different formula. <laughs> he does one for them and five for nobody. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is it is what is most fascinating to me. And look, obviously, he is an incredibly complicated figure in so many ways, right? He had such a weird stranglehold over, like the pop culture discourse for so long because he was doing so much and he was doing so many weird things. And then now, obviously, there's been a lot of reckoning with a tremendous amount of behavior for him that is bad in so many different regards. But like so much of it at at the peak was this like, what what's the goal here? Like, what's the end game? Where do where do we think this is going? You're making like you you are personally directing five films a year that barely get released. There is no part of right. you that thinks that maybe you should slow down and try to make one movie really well. But the weirdest thing was like there would be films with insane challenge that were challenges. Yes. Like, yes. 
he wasn't making like Woody Allen type, like, oh yeah, it's two schmucks in a coffee shop. Like he was right. like, yeah, no, I'm going to roll up my sleeves. It's been a hundred years. No one's gotten William Faulkner right, but I'm right. going to do it like three times. Like I'm going to just keep doing it. Yes. Yes. And, and the yeah. crazy in thing a weekend. is we talk about some <laughs> right. of those performances of his that feel phoned in. Some of them are the movies he directed. Where the performance yeah. feels weirdly phoned in because it's almost like he's on autopilot where he's like, I can do this. I read the script. I know what it is. Or and, he's and, like, and, I don't think I got this one, but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't think I hit it, but let's just get it done. He directed a movie in 2018 called Future World, which I yes. have not seen and starred in it. And Lucy Liu is in it, I think, and like Method Man and other people. That's like a Mad Max movie. It is a bad Mad, Ma like Mad Max ripoff that he signed on for as an actor. And I believe like a couple weeks into filming was like, I don't like the director, went to the producers and was like, you should fire him. I'll take over as director. He took over that one yeah. midstream. Why? Why? I don't know. There's don't an interview. Look, I watched this very fascinating interview he did, I guess, about a year ago that was him sort of trying to come back and test the waters and apologize for, you know, his Yeah, where his he behavior. sort of sort of came. He was like, yeah, I was a sex addict and I've had. But it was one of those things where he kind of. I was trying to run away some from stuff myself. And not a lot of yeah. other stuff, you know. Right. And I don't yeah. know. But yeah, you there, can watch there's there's an anecdote. That. Look, it's an interesting watch. I'm not necessarily sure. yeah. sold in any way, but there are a lot of interesting sort of like uh, uh, statements he makes about himself that I think are telling in a way that he doesn't even quite understand. But the one anecdote he has that is incredible, and it's very similar to your uh, joke, Sean, but the tragic playing out in real time version of it is uh, he said, you know, he went to his uh, uh, agent. And was like, or, or you know, the foreign salespeople he had dealt with before, producing partners he had dealt with before. He was trying to get more projects off the ground. He was like, these are the next four things I want to direct, this and this and that. I can call Danny McBride in for a day. I can get this person to do a cameo, whatever it is. And whoever it was he was talking to said like, James, I cannot sell another James Franco movie. Everyone who at any point in time was interested in buying James Franco movies, now is sitting on four James Franco movies they still haven't released. There is a backlog. No one is buying more. The shelves are full. <laughs> and he was like, it will take seven years to release the movies that you've made in the last two. Oh, man. You've literally, like... Right. It's like hyperinflation. Like you've yes. printed too many James Franco bucks. Right. Like and now yeah. bread costs a million dollars. And yeah. this happens like right around the same time that that a bunch of people start speaking out about these insane acting classes he ran and different co-stars of his whatever. So it's like all of it came to a head. But even before that, basically the industry was like there needs to be like a government bailout of James Franco films. And then we all have to agree to never do this ever again. And then you look at this movie and you're like, this is the moment that should have been his anointment to well, the top Griffin, tier of his generation. 
what happened four months after this movie came out in America? He hosted the Oscar he ceremony did. in which he was nominated. It is one of the most incredible acts of self-sabotage. A <laughs> night that should be an absolute victory lap for him. It's his first nomination. He's not going to win. But everyone's takeaway was, clearly this guy's got big stuff in store. He'll win an Oscar within right. the next five to ten years. Instead, he goes up on stage and makes everyone in the world hate him. <laughs> It's just crazy. incredible to think about. Yes. It's that fast. The yes. turnaround is that. Yes. After that, yes, he does do Spring Breakers in 2012. And obviously, mm -hmm. that's a universally well-regarded performance. But they're also like, he was so good at playing a demon from like Florida <laughs> hell. You know, like yes. it's not mm -hmm. it's not like they were, you know, I mean, it, that, that, that's, a, that's a loaded piece of praise when, you know, you were right. great as Alien. The guy that if he was hanging out with my daughters, I'd kill myself. Right. Mm. But then meanwhile, you talk about the Feast of Famine with Franco. A year later, he plays Hugh Hefner in Lovelace and can't fucking find an end to that character. Like, sometimes you <laughs> hand him a piece of material where you're like, well, obviously you could relate to this guy. There's a thing for you to play here. And instead, he's like doing it off of fucking cue cards. It's I don't so get it. bizarre. This, guy, this guy's kind of sleazy. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand Brother, yes. this <laughs> weird cult of personality. <laughs> I. Have you guys seen the interview? I've never seen the interview. He's in that. He's like yes. this co-lead of that, I was just that, thinking right? after yep. I watched this, like, I kind of am curious because I have heard that um, he's also playing, like, kind of a big character. In it. Like, he's like a parody of a talk show, ho like, self-obsessed, like, kind of dim, right. he's like, the host, doesn't know, right. like, not self-aware. Rogan's the producer or whatever. I, I, I think the, like, behind uh, the scenes guy. I saw right. that movie. I saw a screening of it before it was canceled from its theatrical release when it was just a normal, like, uh, uh, a, a just Twitter a normal contest. normal killing a living dictator movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, it, it, that is a disastrous performance, in my opinion. <laughs> that is, right. It is All one right. of the most right. But it's not a phoned-in performance. No, no. It's, it's a big it's, swing that misses. You know what, Sean? Well, it I'm is curious maybe, to see it. I know it's actually the only exception to what we're talking about. It is maybe right, the where only it's like time he's doing something and it doesn't work. He's doing right. something he cannot do. He's taking every <laughs> right. fucking item at the buffet and stacking it on one tiny, like fucking I, side look, plate. Obviously, the other performance he gives post all of this that did make a huge impression, obviously, yes. was his Tommy Wiseau, but. Once sure. again, it was like, okay, you've successfully played a freak. Like, and I don't, I don't mean any offense to Mr. <laughs> you successfully played a guy who doesn't understand that he's a bad director and shouldn't be making movies <laughs> in a film that you directed that is kind of amateurish at best from that ass standpoint. It, it's an okay movie. It, it's a lovable movie, but I think not is good. really because well, of, this is where this is where is. the line is too of like. Yeah. It's like, is this guy fucking with me? But also, is everyone fucking with him? <laughs> right, 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 right. Like, is this a Windy City Heat situation? Does this guy not like the, know? The, the weirdness to where it became like, everyone was like, how does he have a normal brother who's talented and everyone seems to think is a chill guy? Like, yeah. and people would be like accosting Dave Franco being like, well, what do you think of your brother? And he'd be like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what to say about this. Like, it got it got so strange that, like... Well, I'll say, too, even, from, like, yeah. when we did that roast writing session and we were like, well, what should we talk about? Like, Jonah was like, I mean, I've known this guy for a really long time, but I, I kind of 
don't know him at all. Yeah, <laughs> like, sure. Like, right. and I think that, I, that's an experience right. of like a lot of close friends, like, the, or like even maybe his own brother, where they're like, I don't totally know what's going on with him, and I don't know if he knows what's going on with him. Um, which I guess is probably true of a lot of actors because it makes it easier for them to sort of like totally invest in these other realities and stuff. I right. mean, sometimes it's I think odd, they are like... It's an odd profession. Yeah. But there was also, look, there was this period of time in which he was involved in like four different universities, either enrolled as a student, <laughs> teaching well, classes, or both. Well, yes. I mean, yeah. obviously. And that is... That is the prime. That's happening net when he's making yes. one twenty-seven hours. He says to to Danny Boyle, "I wasn't stoned when you first met me. I was tired from all of my classes." That is his. Right. From, uh, from being uh, in that's so many excuse. schools, <laughs> too many schools. <laughs> Just, I was well, in because a lot he of schools he didn't, at the time. Right. He went. He went to his safety school and his reach and his <laughs> early decision. He went to all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, the other late James Franco performance I do like is. Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is a, a tiny performance. Oh, sure. Yes. But he, mm-hmm. he has to nail that final line where he says first time, and he's got the noose around his neck, and he does. So I, I guess I'll give him that. It's sort of the last time I noticed him in anything, obviously. He, he does. That's basically his last movie before yeah. he like disappears into the wilderness. No, he nails that line, but I also think it's it's the weakest of all the lead performances in that movie by a yardstick uh yeah 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 i mean since then he has not done anything except for complete the deuce, the deuce. uh yeah right. his uh his work on on the deuce which we all kind of just sort of i don't know never Ever, talked everyone about, yeah that, yeah that show was interesting yeah, yeah. but um kind of a bummer i don't know well i yeah. was like i somebody had to like tell me season two came out <laughs> and then there was a third season yeah there was yeah there yeah. were three yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. They yeah. did three seasons. I think third season might have been shorter, but... And know. I think the third season also came out in the we don't talk about Franco period. Like, they were yeah, too yeah. deep it in did. it, yeah, and yeah, they yeah. were just sort of like, look, it's ending. Here you go. Here are the last episodes. And now here we are talking about I it. I know. I mean, all I wanted to say was just that in that period where he was uh, enrolled in four different universities, and he would switch which ones. Every semester, he'd go, I'm dropping this mm-hmm. one, I'm adding this one. Uh but but the universities would keep on saying like no he's really a student he's like really here he really does this and there was this kind of unspoken thing that has now come out that like he was sending proxies to all of these fucking classes of course and they would like film them and take notes and he would be like yeah yeah I got it right because right. he was one of these guys mm. who's like I could just read it and I'll I'll remember it and I'll process it. I don't need to be there. And it was such a good advertising campaign for all of these schools that it was like it started with him actually being there. And then very quickly it would be like, oh, he hasn't set foot on this campus in two years or he only shows up when he's teaching this one seminar or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. To be clear, at one point or another, he was enrolled at or taught at um, UCLA, uh, Brooklyn College, Yale University, Columbia, RISD. Three days later. NYU Tisch and the Columbia uh, School of the Arts and maybe also California State Summer School for the Arts. Uh, those are those are the schools I can find that he was associated with. 
Oh, I know maybe Warren Wilson College. I don't even know what that one is. Well, but I, he was he was there too. Thank you for taking the time to read all house. of those. There's <laughs> <laughs> a college now. Yeah. Yeah, man, we all go um, to Warren Wilson's college on uh, on the weekends. And... He had the the ability briefly to turn anything into a college. Wherever he was became a college. Yes. Yeah, he was deputized. <laughs> yeah, it's like how the president, if he's on a plane, it's yes. Air Force One. It like, becomes a yeah. transitive <laughs> Everyone, um, welcome to Starbucks University. <laughs> David, I don't know if this is in... Uh, what JJ pulled up, but I remember mm. in the like award season campaign press run for this movie when Danny Boyle would speak very positively about his experience. Obviously, how happy he was with the performance that He's Franco an gave. Abusive fella, right? And right. this movie, yes, yes. Uh, there was this whole thing I know, Sean, that you want to talk about, where the film has two DPs, and the main reason they did that was because they basically were like. Let's have two crews that alternate so we can film double long days without yeah, we'll t- we'll talk overworking about people. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And yeah. Franco, once he basically got in there, was in there and would just read his fucking textbooks in downtime to keep like he was like, oh, I'll keep up with my classes in between setups and things like that. But Boyle would would say he was like, look, Franco is like a weird guy. Uh, I would sometimes come up to him and ask him. Uh, or, or you know, make a suggestion direction-wise or ask him if he thought he could do something. And he would, like, sort of stop and, like, think deeply and then nod his head and go, yes, Franco can do that. As if he was, like, an advanced computer processing a request. <laughs> and he was like, it was never clear to me if this was some bit he was doing or if this is his process. But he would speak of himself in the third person and was like, yes, Franco is capable of doing that. Wow, that sounds fun. Uh, the Clem dog can relate. <laughs> <laughs> Except that every time somebody asks me something, I go, Clem dog can't hack it. <laughs> you can't. Right. You're the the dog's not going to give you what you want on this one, boss. <laughs> Clem dog's tapping out. Clem dog is at capacity. <laughs> what you got's what you're going to get from Clem dog, friendo. <laughs> My apologies. Um, okay, so Danny Boyle, uh, we've sort of, you know, he's 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 already got this crazy. Let me just give you a little mm-hmm. Danny Boyle production nonsense mm-hmm. because he is crazy. Initially, he was like, I want to shoot it on location yes. in, in the canyons down there. And they were like, Danny, we won't be able to feed a crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be unsafe and there's no light. And he was like, all right, fine. So then they recreate the canyon in an old furniture factory. Uh, they did go to the canyon, obviously, to shoot the buildup to his accident and all that, mm-hmm. but they did not uh, do you know anything else there. Uh, he also wanted to shoot the film in sequence, okay? Which kind I, I understand that, right? That he's yeah. like, I want to you know give the actor the chance to build that up, um, but that they couldn't do either. Um, well, it just feels like kind of not that surprising. His like. style is counterintuitive to that because Boyle likes to switch between so many different mediums and so many different like kinetic insert shots and whatever. It's right. you know if this were a more low key film, if it were a stripped down Robert Brisson version of being trapped in the cave, maybe you could do this uh, in order. Um, I, I will say just to give this film props, 
this is a movie where yeah. I completely believe that they're in the real place, the same place the entire time. Totally. That transition for uh, me. If you told me that they did it on location, yeah. I'd go, wow, that must have been hard. But me I too. wouldn't be like, no way. It, is like, a, it, 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 it feels like it. Seamless transition. It feels completely true the entire time. The light feels right. None of it feels stagey. And I yeah. even think a lot of times you can sense the energy shift in the performances when people are out in nature versus when they're suddenly cutting to them in a contained, controlled environment. And I just feel like it's all on the same continuum for me. Uh, I agree that it looks fantastic. Um, it wasn't nominated for cinematography. This is an incredible year at the Oscars, as we've sort of touched on, like, apart from the King's Speech. Like, the other cinematography nominees that year, along with the King's Speech, are, which is actually an okay shot movie, yeah. are True Grit, Social Network, Black Swan, and Inception. Like, yeah. it's a, mm. it's it's just, it's wow, all these, yeah. those four films are all basically original films. I mean, True Grit and Social Network are based on books, but you know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah, yeah. that are like gigantic hits. Like, yeah. the, you know, audiences are like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, we're, we're ready for all that. And King's Speech yeah. as well, obviously. This feels like the last time that you had, like, several Oscar movies becoming blockbusters rather than several blockbusters becoming yes. Oscar movies. Yeah. Right, because, I mean, other nominee that year is uh, The Fighter. The Fighter, which is another big hit. Right. All those movies yeah. did well because of Oscar buzz. Inception is the only one that was sort of a hit coming in. Yes, right. Inception yeah. was a summer blockbuster. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um uh but anyway, uh, uh why why did they shoot in a furniture factory and not Utah's many film stages you ask? Every single film studio in Utah was being used by John Carter, which which had to have like oh, a wow. zillion sound stages. Yeah. Um just funny to think about. Yeah. yeah. Um so uh the fake canyon they made uh, they wanted it to be like really difficult to access, even if it was fake, just mm -hmm. to make it feel real for James Franco. So Franco needs uh, that. Only a couple people could, yeah. Only a couple people could come in at a time. Uh, they would leave him the camera, and he could shoot material on his own. Uh, the way that um, the Larlarb, who's the uh, costume designer, mm -hmm. and was sort of the costume and production designer here. The way they put it is, um, his Danny Boyle's knee-jerk response when you ask him something has nothing to do with traditional rational thought. Everything has to be an experiment until it's shot. Like he's just clearly, he's just kind of like, I don't know, how could we do this differently to make it look real or more interesting? Like you know, he just never wants to cheat in the normal way. Mm -hmm. I guess until he's like backed into a corner and it's like, no, we have to do it this way, Danny, or else like it's just gonna be too crazy. This, all this stuff is clearly interesting. Like, they made this set difficult for a reason, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think you can feel it. Yeah, I'm no. sure. Yes, uh, I think it definitely adds to the performance. I think, like, it has to It has to feel claustrophobic. Um, uh, yeah, I think that energy, like, permeates uh, all of it. Like, it, it really, yeah, it felt authentic to me. And the, like it's you, the two cameramen thing where they're like constantly working because they like we can't do a four month shoot. It's going to be too intense. Like mm -hmm. we need to compress the actual length of the shoot. It's easier to make him work faster, longer, right. but fewer days. And mm -hmm, with the right. amount of setups this movie needs, it would just take forever if you weren't shooting that many cameras and uh, shooting basically double days and everything. 
And it does, as you said, that it they keep it moving by like doing all these weird like different insert shots and different angles. And like when they start flashing to um his memories, I do think again, something that could seem so stupid, but the fact that they have him like mouthing uh the words along with his memory, like say, like just quietly saying to himself the thing that he's thinking about himself having said, like it just feels I don't know that that felt great to me. Like what would happen as you're starting to sort of dissociate um, from your own experience. That's another reason I think the sort of liberties taken with the um, uh, Tamblin Mara scene are so important is because you need him to play showboat to that scale where when he gets to this point later in the movie, it doesn't feel like a cheat to have him saying these things out loud. Yeah. You're like, this guy would, he is yeah. so self-mythologizing that he would be narrating this in real time. He would be performing this for the camera or for himself. And him reliving his memories in those moments would be like a full body experience for him, not a passive cut to flashback thing. When he's doing the like talk show with himself oh. and it like, and those like fast cuts in between like him as the interviewee and him as the interviewer and like the level of energy that he has um, sort of be playing host and like brightening up and kind of summoning everything he has and then down to him being depressed and being like, no, this is how stupid I am. Like I didn't tell anyone where I'm going and seeming broken. As you said, it feels genuine it doesn't feel like a cheat it's very engaging it's very interesting but because you've seen what a show he puts on for these girls and how sort of into himself and and sort of being a performer in his own life just he him is stepping and how, off like, the rocks and having himself. the confidence to make like three serial killer jokes in a row that kind of yes. like absurd charisma that I feel like seems to be stock and trade for guys who are creeps to be like, hey, don't worry, I'm not going to murder you. Like he comes down yes. and immediately makes a Friday the 13th. Right. You know what I'm saying? But he's like, I can sell this to them. You need all of that. I will say the self-awareness. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. moment you're talking about, Sean, where he drops the reality of the reality show. Of, of the talk show and says, uh -huh. you know, it breaks down basically his realization that the soonest they would even send a rescue team to discover him would be another three days. And then you just sort of cut to that wider shot of him in the rock realizing how doomed he is and the show is over. That is how I'm going to feel in 45 minutes when we end this Zoom and we just suddenly I'm just sitting at a table <laughs> alone. It's like I that moment I was like, oh, this is what Zoom podcasting felt like during the pandemic. Where you're like, yeah, okay, good episode. Uh, right, and then you just cut silence and call cut silence. Forty five hours later. What day are we on right now? Three and a half, four. Okay, gotcha. Yep. Um, here's an early thing that I think is brilliant in this movie. Go ahead. The the delayed title card. Yeah, 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 yeah. Giving us so much fun and not hitting us with the card until he's stuck, right? right. Like it, it's it's the minute he's stuck that we finally get the title. That was yeah. so good. Incredible. And I didn't obviously yeah. didn't remember it from the first viewing, but that really uh, got me. Him getting stuck is communicated very well. Mm -hmm. I, I I know this may sound so obvious, but the way 
it happens so fast and like you see the rock tumbling down and you, you know the, you're just sort of like yep i get it yep he's stuck i don't need any more no. like i completely understand how he cannot move now like you know i don't need a physics diagram here they it's, they do it just right yes it feels just right and it's the fall it's like ah god damn it like fuck you know right. cuz it's the kind of thing where it would in the moment feel small feel yes. like it feels like you down. spilled a drink or whatever. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Ah, shit. Ah, you know, right. Yeah. God, fuck, damn it. Okay, I, how stupid. All right, right. let it's me fix that, it. Yeah. And then it's just like, nope, no chance. Right, right. He doesn't say ow. He doesn't scream in pain. It's absolutely a moment of more him being embarrassed that he fucked up. And then yeah. it's the slow realization of like, oh, I'm I'm actually doomed now. And that you have so long to live with the mistake. Right. Like, Well, because <laughs> he's, he's there, right? He's realizing his arm is pinned, and then suddenly right above his shoulder appear giant letters that say 127 hours, which is based on reality. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and this guy's like, you're yeah, telling right. me this is how long it's going to be? You um, kidding me? For real? Uh, but I feel like Boyle is incredibly good at spatial geography for someone who is so kinetic is. and manic as a filmmaker. Mm. Usually people like this just choose to throw that out the window and go, it's part of my stylization. I don't care. I don't care. And it's it gets harder when you're in a space that's this contained to even just make it so clear. Where are all of his items in relation to him? You know? When he rigs up that little like pulley system so that he can like you know kind of be able to take the weight off of his legs and stuff and the way they're kind of showing him like slinging the rock like all of that it's not overdone you know but you kind of just as you said with the getting stuck you're like i understand like yeah i understand where everything is and like how and sort of how this works the um, most relatable shit in this movie for me talked about how much i don't understand this guy earlier in the episode the stuff that i think franco does so well Beyond the showboating stuff, which is really hard to do without, you know, embarrassing yourself to do this sort of self-narration, all that sort of shit. He has so many little moments where you register exactly what he's thinking, where he's sort of taking account of his situation and the circumstances around him. And you as an audience member doing the math and you can tell exactly what his conclusion is from that math. Yeah. But there, there are a couple moments that really stuck to me. It's certainly that first moment when he realizes he's stuck, but he doesn't realize how bad it is. And at first he's just like, mm -hmm. oh, fuck, oh, God. And it's sort of just that feeling of like the moment you've realized you've locked yourself out, you know, you like close the door right, and then you're like, right. I don't have the fucking keys. And your brain does the whole thing. of like, could I, could I, could I do this? Could I do could this? I, is and this like, open? No, no, can no, I try no, this? No. Right, Wait, yeah. hang on. <laughs> oh, do right. I have one over here? <laughs> like, no, I fucking moved it. And you're sort of like, that was a mistake made in five seconds. You know, yeah. I almost yeah. had the thought right before the door closed that I should check and I didn't catch it. And now I'm going to fucking regret it. And then similarly, there's the moment where he places his water bottle down and then tries to fish a thing out of his eye and the water mm. bottle falls over and he loses like 25 percent of his water. Talk about tension too. the water yeah. bottle. Every time the lid of the water bottle is open. Right. I am yeah. panicking. Yes. I am like, yes. no, don't put it down. <laughs> You you have to always screw the lid back on. That's the thing. Unless it's in your hand. He plays it so well where he's just like that that moment of arrogance for a guy who's fucked to be like, well, I don't need to close it. I'll I'll pick it up again in half a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, it's just and he's like, like a near fatal mistake. 
Well, and there's moments too where he's taking a sip and he's almost like starting to fall asleep or like, yeah. you know, like he's like passing out a little bit and you're like, no, 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 he's going to drop his water. Like, I'm so scared he's going to drop his water. And then when he finally, there's a couple times where it feels like it will happen and it doesn't. And then when it does, I wasn't, you know, exactly expecting it the first time I saw it. It's like, oh, not now. Here's a question for you guys. What do you think is the most impressive aspect of his survival because i have a clear answer what do you mean and the answer can't be that he cut his arm off i'm talking about basically the five days up until the arm getting cut off where he has to maintain Mm -hmm. right okay okay because there's a there's a very clear answer you think it's peeing into his uh I think that one's okay. I think yeah. the moment where the I really... The is definitely the, where I went, where my right. brain immediately went. Only because yeah. we were just talking about the water and that he's able sure. to stay hydrated by like peeing into his like, yes. Osprey pack or whatever, yeah. I think the moment that makes me truly believe that this guy is Survivor of the Year is when he chooses to make it a no-fap 127 hours. The moment when <laughs> he is re-watching the video okay. from the cave. Now, he I goes did completely for forget. For the belt buckle, and then he goes like, no, you You can't. forgot? I thought he was about to jerk off. I forgot. I was like, is there a five-minute J.O. scene in this movie? I forgot how long it took him to almost jerk off. I know. He really like, comes close. In my memory, it's like around day two that he tries to jerk off. No, but he makes it was it, like, right. no, it's so late in the game. It's like I was like, four. I would think it would be off the table by then. Right. Yeah. I thought it was too late. I thought he should, <laughs> yeah. I thought he should have tried to jerk off earlier. That's basically story, what like, I I do that minute 15. I'm like, let's get all the getting's <laughs> right, like, Who knows right. how much blood I'm losing? Yeah, right, exactly. Well, I still got one hand. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's crazy that he does it when he's basically near death, and it almost feels like in that moment his decision is, do I jerk off and die a happy man, or do I save right. what little energy I have left to cut my arm There's off? There's the unspoken thing of, like, this could kill me. Right. I think, I think. well, you know, much, much like a lot of very smart people will tell you on Reddit, every time you come, you lose some of your energy. The more your power you force. have. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right. And I think he realizes I maybe got 10, 15% left. One load would nearly deplete me. If I'm well, going to cut this arm the guy reads his Bible. I mean, better to spill your seed in the belly of a whore than <laughs> waste it in Blue John Canyon. <laughs> <laughs> as i so often repeat of course of so course it is yeah it is a crime yeah and now we're going to resume the episode it's uh two days later so we're on monday now is that right it yeah is. monday ben right. yeah. yeah okay it's actually well really no it's tuesday morning so ben just cut out oh, sure. uh all the audio we kept running especially the stuff where we were sleeping but now the four of us are back together again well and of yeah. course we had the we did have a quick discussion before I left of, you know, we have mentioned that he had two separate crews and two separate mm. DPs. And, yes. um, you know, for the most part, it's pretty unified. But uh, I picked, I think, 29 spots where <laughs> I could tell that they had handed off yeah. from the one crew pass. to another. For sure. And just, it's yeah. so yeah. subtle. It's mm. so subtle. Mm. But I have the eye. Yeah. And visually yeah. I knew, oh, okay, this is so and so. Or right. this is when such and such was handling the camera. And 
And and I just so I had the list. No, I was just gonna say just to clarify, the three of us yeah. went to sleep, and then while we were sleeping, Sean got back on his microphone and just I'm an did early riser. Yeah. A six hour run explaining all the moments that he noticed the pass off mm-hmm. happening. And poorly explaining them as well. Because you're an amateur. It's the, right. it's the part where they're in a cave. Yeah. You can see the wall of the cave. Yeah. He's like wanting to get out. He's hating being in there. The, the man <laughs> is looking at his own arm even. Right. You should have been able to get through all that in three hours, but it took you six because you were you were stammering. You were so, 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 I kept like, losing my place. Yeah. I can't read my own writing. No, a lot of that is <laughs> what is freehand. this say? It's dark. I mean, yeah, yeah you know. Um look, I I one thing, Griff, I don't know if you know the two there's mm. two cinematographers, as, as Sean mentioned, Anthony Dodmantle, mm-hmm. who is Danny Boyle's big collaborator at that point. The yeah. other guy is called Enrique Chediak, and he okay. is the cinematographer on 28 Weeks Later. Oh, interesting. So this film had the DPs of both 28 Days and 28 Weeks. They combined forces. That's all. That's cool. Uh, I, I, I talked about this in our Slumdog episode, uh, but I have to assume a similar approach was taken on this movie. Uh, but the thing that I find so... Uh, uh, interesting about uh, Dodd Mantle and uh, Boyle, their work in this period. And it is just pretty wild watching this and thinking that this movie is coming out less than 10 years after 28 Days Later. And 28 Days Later looks like it was shot on Fruit by the Foot. And this is almost like <laughs> strikingly detailed. Like you see every speck of dust on his hat. You see every bead of sweat. Like the image could not be more clear. Um, but there's this thing, Sean, that Boyle talked about when they were like experimenting with different uh, digital video cameras for Slumdog Millionaire, where Boyle was like, is there any reason the camera needs to be in the shape of a camera? And they were like, what are you saying? And he was like, well, you build it like a camera with these dimensions because that's what we're used to cameras looking like. But like inside of that, the guts are like there's a lens connected to a sensor connected to a battery, right? And they were like, yeah. And he's like, so can we just take the panels off and disassemble this so that he can put most of it in a backpack and Anthony Dobmantle can basically hold the lens. And you feel it in this movie, I think, where it's like they have to get into really tight spaces. That's cool. They have to move around really fast. And he was just like, there's no reason for this guy to have a fucking thing on his shoulder. Why are we pretending that a camera needs to look like this now? God, I'm so fucking stupid. Like, I would never <laughs> think about anything like that ever. That is that is so, so smart. Cool. Yeah, it's well, so fucking you, cool. You insist that cameras have, like, big Mickey Mouse ears yeah. to keep the reels in, like, to this day. Like, you, <laughs> they have to have that. You hide snacks in and there a tripod. on set. <laughs> right. Yeah, and this the the megaphone I'm yelling at you isn't doing <laughs> anything. Like, I'm, I, there's a mic if I want it, but I just... <laughs> I guess, I don't know. Tradition used to mean something in this town. <laughs> um, okay, so what do we before we talk about the amputation? Is there anything else you guys want to highlight? I love all the stuff with the water, just because it feels like such like a relief and then an instant danger. Like I like how you're like, okay, finally this guy's getting rained on, and then like mm-hmm. when there's the waterfall thing. That feels very visceral. I don't know. Is, That's it, what, interesting. What are some that flight of fancy where the rain like allows yeah. him to escape and everything, and then it's like you you see that it's like a dream sequence. Like, 
But there's such um, an elegant arc to that from going like, oh, this is a salvation to going like, this is making the situation so much worse to the dangerous. moment where you clock. This is all in his head. Yeah. None of right. this happens. He's dreaming yeah. about water. Right. Yeah. I, I like the part where the camera moves out of the canyon over to his car. Mm-hmm. And he yes, imagines like, the and Gatorade. Yes, and hits his bike. And then his, That's yeah, really yeah. awesome. But the movement of it, because I feel like that really captures like kind of how your mind could do that like if you go on a trip and you realize at the airport like oh fuck at my coffee table is whatever i left behind this is where i left my keys when the door locks behind you you immediately remember seeing your keys on the counter the frustration of the shittier knife yeah what he verbalizes of just like which is real part of the story and like couldn't happen any other way which is is really crazy like that this guy who is about this life in such a major way doesn't have good gear for something so like essential like just like if you if this is your lifestyle and you are like rock climber mountain man like knows all the secret paths it's like you've got a decent knife. Like, that's got to be true for 99% of these people, but it's just like, eh, it came with a fucking free flashlight, <laughs> right. like a stocking stuffer from my mom, and I was like, <laughs> right. whatever, the knife works. Right, the series of like, I mean, he says he has a Swiss Army knife, but he can't reach it, I think, right? No, don't you see him leaving it? Like, he doesn't pick oh, it up? maybe you're right. Isn't that right at the start of the movie? Like, you see him put down, like, have a Swiss Army knife, yeah, and he doesn't grab it, yeah, or something like that. It's such a horrible detail that it's yeah, like Yeah, all the little things that he like right. left behind where it's like, well, this doesn't matter. Which that, like, no matter what, like, you uh, you totally can relate to just that. Oh, like, yeah. Well, whatever. It'll be fine. I don't need this. Well, just and the idea like, that no, this, the only like, thing you need. this fucking tool is, like, so dull that not only does he need to cut his own arm off, but he has to spend like an hour or two sharpening it against the rocks in preparation to cut his own arm off. When he's been chipping right. at the rock forever, I really relate to his hand hurting from doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then when he's been chipping at it and he has the boat where he's like, I actually think that I have been making myself more stuck. Like. Yeah. <laughs> Which makes sense, right? That it's like my arm was like holding it out again. So like by like decreasing the amount of surface area that was touching the rock, I let it like roll in tighter. That, um, and that you would not think of that until you had been doing it for three days. Yes. Yes. Um, Hey, just on a storytelling perspective, he's like so good at just like the, the markers, like the time markers in this movie of like, what's the first thing you do? You take out your thing, you try to like chip the rock away, right? Which works as yeah. such a good establishing. Yeah, it's going to be a long process, but right. we're, you know, we're here. But you're like, I can get this done. And it establishes this shitty tool so well. You know, you get the mm-hmm. close up of it, his finger running against it. Okay, it doesn't even cut his finger. You see him chipping at it. It doesn't work. And then basically like minute 30, is him trying to cut his arm, making a few, like, scrapes, basically, and giving up. Uh An hour in is he just jams it straight into his arm. Yep. Like, I just need to fucking do this. Uh, And then you have, like, 10 to 15 minutes, right, of him then trying to figure out what to do from there. Um, The the fucking... uh, You already invoked it. I mean, should we just get to the the gnarliness of 
of the arm. Yeah. Let's do well, it. Okay, so do you want to know how they did it? Yeah. Okay, so one thing that I think is incredible that Danny Boyle says is the the real rescue services guys eventually did go get his arm. They like lifted the boulder and got it, and they showed him a photo of what it looked like, and he said it literally looked like when the guy gets flattened by a steamroller in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, like it was flat, like a pancake. Wow. wow. And like, you know, because it just got stuck under the rock, obviously. Mm-hmm. So um, just funny to think he was like, and if we have ever shown any image like that, audiences would just laugh. It would just look too ridiculous. Like that's what the real thing looked like. Um, but yeah, they built a prosthetic arm. They took a mold of his arm. They filled it with muscles, veins, tendons, and a bone. And they attached it at his shoulder and, you know, figured out this complicated way for him to sort of, you know, uh, arrange himself. So his real arm is being held in place and the fake arm is there. And then they gave him the knife and they were like, okay, cut your arm off. Like, it's going to take you a while. And like, he started hacking away at this like fake arm. And Franco says like, that's the take they use. Right. Like the yeah. reactions are real because he doesn't know how realistic this thing is. And the fact that he's actually going to have to go through it like layer by layer, the amount of blood that's going to come out and all of that. But it's so visceral because you feel like, you know, you feel like, OK, as we talked about, like maybe I could get my mind to the place where I'm going to start doing it. Mm-hmm. Would I know to break the bones first? I guess I've got a lot of time to think about it. The thing you don't account for is like, all right, well, the, the you know, it's pretty much dead, this part of your body. You tourniquet right. it for a long time. But but the way they use the score when he hits By the nerve. nerve. Yeah. That's that is for me, it is the thing that has stuck with me about this film. Yep. I, I, I almost don't go a day without thinking about it. Yeah. Because he touches it. It's like touching a fucking wire, you know, and it's like it zaps him and it zaps him again. And he goes, I got to fucking do it. I got to just like, right. Do this thing that is going to hurt so much. Like, and I got to do it so fast. It's it's a band aid. He says like, like, it's like lighting your arm on fire. Like it's like putting your arm into lava is how Mm -hmm. he describes it. Like, you know, the, the cutting the nerves. As, yeah. as you, as both of you said, you go to see this movie and you're like, how gnarly is this going to be? When's right? he going to do it? How insane and, is this going to be? Yeah. Yes. Right. How long 100%. is this going to take? And, and you know, right. one of the craziest aspects of the real story is like, it's not like he just went slice arm off. You're like, this is like multiple <laughs> hours of his life having to methodically yeah. continue yeah. carving. Uh, so you're like, how is this going to play out? How grotesque is this going to be? And then far and away, the most visceral aspect of it is Danny Bull just hitting on like, oh, it should make a buzzing sound like you're playing Operation. Yeah. Basically, (laughs) nothing is going to affect the audience more than like a sound music cue that invokes the feeling of hitting the nerve directly and that sense of like, there's no way but through this and it's not going to get any better. Yeah, that's right. It's more than anything you see. Yeah. Yeah, right. You, nothing you see is really that bad, right? No. Like, I mean, I just mean in terms of gore, you know, in terms of nastiness. Yeah. Like, it's not nice, but it's, it's less gory sort than of this Evil Dead. Yeah. Sight, you know. Right. Yeah, it's like an arm covered in blood, and he's cutting through. You know, it's horrible, but yeah, it's it's all in the sensory parts yeah. of the movie. 
And mm-hmm. if you're in a theater, it's that you're locked in with it, obviously. Like that you mm-hmm. just, you know, it's harder to look away. The the screen is filling your vision. Um and I mean, I think he plays it so well. Like Ralston says, like, I like that he's smiling because that's how I felt. Because I was like finally accomplishing something. Like yeah. as much as I felt like insane and it was in so much pain i was at least doing something for the first time in days basically yeah trying something yeah instead of just waiting and being like what yeah that's right yeah it's a relief in a way and it's it's interesting like obviously and then just the idea of him then like showing up (laughs) in front of a bunch of like you know like a utah family and being like ah like I cut off my arm. Like it's it's like fucking it's like Dutch tourists to... or something, right? Like Yes, that's what it is. But I remember that that's what I remember from the theater of like him getting out and like seeing people and like him, you know, like for I mean, first he drinks all the muddy water, which is so right, right. fucked up. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. Yeah. Like you it's the nastiest looking water. They do a great job. I think I had forgotten how much of a journey he has to like just get back out to where he could run into someone after having cut off his arm after having been trapped for five days. Um, and then it's like, no, you still have to like do your hike in reverse. Six miles. Uh, that's so fucked up. Right. Yeah. I don't want to walk that under the best circumstances. No, no, um, that's, no. that's yeah, the wildest no. thing. Uh, have any of you watched the alternate ending for this movie no what's the alternate ending i did not know this existed i bought the film on itunes it had a bunch of deleted scenes including a 22 minute alternate ending which i bring up now because it starts basically at the moment where he successfully gets through the arm and is freed from the cave sure At that point, it's mostly playing the same, but there are some editing choices. It spends more time on sort of the gap between when he gets out of the crack and when he finds the Swedish family. You see more of his like journey in between, but with the Sigur Ross song starting to play and everything. And he sort of passes out less. It gets a little less dreamlike, a little less quickly. Um And then once he's rescued, it starts cross-cutting with the Swedish family on TV talking about discovering him. And this movie basically had shot, scripted, edited uh, the Danny Boyle version of the Castaway ending in which rather than it immediately going to this sort of montage coda wrap up, it's all a little montage, but it's more him landing, him doing the press conferences him seeing his he's family again for the first mom. time. Right. He's in the hospital yeah. with his mom. Right. His mom goes like, I'll kill mm-hmm. you if you ever go without telling us where you're going. You see, you know, it's sped up, but you see all the steps of everything. And then he goes to his sister's wedding, thus justifying why Lizzie Kaplan is only in two isolated shots of this movie. There's an actual scene where they go to the wedding and uh, Treat Williams says, like, this is the greatest day you could ever hope for. Not only am I gaining a new son in my family, but we got our, our previous son back. And they cut to Franco and he just kind of looks empty. And then there's a scene where he right. and Lizzie Kaplan play chopsticks together on the piano. And there's like something kind of unspoken in him. He leaves the wedding. He gets in his car. He drives to Clemence Posey. And then she talks to him. They do. They do like the Helen Hunt ending, 
And he basically, they're like having a nice sort of catch up. She's so excited to see him. I saw the story on the news, uh, offers him a drink. They go out back, they're talking. She mentions that she broke up with the guy that she clearly had been dating after him. He sees his like window of opportunity. He tells her, I had this vision when I was in there. I saw the small child and she went, was it you? And he said, no, it was mine. And I realize that's what I want. Right, it's my future son. And he right, he yeah. looks at her and he sees it on her face. She plays this moment incredibly well. And then he goes, that's not your kid, is it? And she goes, no, it, it's not going to be my kid. Right, right, right. And then she says to him, like, every single person who loves you is constantly, like, hurting themselves. Right. You right. you kind of need to. I wish you all yeah, the best, but you need to figure for. your shit out. Right, There's right, no yeah. going back here. It's a punishment to care about you, right? And the ending is not perfectly executed. I think Franco weirdly kind of fucks up the scene, despite the fact that she's playing it well. But then he mm. still does the exact same coda. It then goes from that to him coming out of the pool, the shot of seeing both right. the actors playing his family and friends and the yeah. real family and friends, and then yeah. saying, like, three years later, Aaron found his calling. The prophecy came true. He got married and had a kid. Uh, right. Can I tell you what Danny Boyle's take is? Yes. Why he cut all that out? Uh-huh. He was like, it's a good ending. It's all done well. Like, you know, it's a very Hollywood ending. Yeah. And he was just like, the day before the final cut was due, we were just like, this just doesn't make any sense for the movie we made. Like the movie is fairly light and experimental. Yeah. This is like a pretty traditional ending. The movie just needs to punch out is yeah. how he puts it. Like, I agree. It just I mean, needed to be like him saying, I need help. And like, you're done, you know, and then you do the they very sound like good at the end. Yeah. scenes, but you're not in the world seeing him experience like interactions with other people, except like in his mind or this very brief thing in the hike. Feels like you just would be entering a different movie for all of that. What did you think of it when you watched it, Griffin? Is it it, it does feel yeah, a little does... bit like that. It's weird. I mean, because the movie it... the movie itself is only ninety minutes long, basically. Which is I love that. Which is nice. Right. Like we, it's we nice talked about short. this in yeah. our train spotting episode, but Bull's incredibly good at knowing basically, like, if I'm making a movie that's going to be this high octane, this difficult. He basically yeah, does what he calls the 90-minute blood pact of, like, this movie has to be out of here in 90 minutes. You cannot subject people to this shit for longer than that. Um, I, I think, it, you know, you're right. It, it, that's the fundamental issue, probably, is just that it feels like it's out of a different movie. It feels right. kind of jarring. And especially because yeah. the the alternate ending is presented in the context of it transitioning from him in the cave to this. You're not just watching these scenes in isolation. You're watching the lead up to it. It does suddenly feel like a totally different thing. Even when we see scenes from his life in his memory, they're so dreamlike and feel yes. like memories. Yeah. Like they're these pieces. They're just like his POV or something. Like they're not, you know, uh, they're not traditional like, scenes from a film that you watch and so it does just feel like it that would be out of place although it all sounds kind of good once something like castaway commits to doing like 45 minutes to an hour of once he gets back on land whereas this it's like bull wants to do all of this but do it in 10 minutes well and more and more interaction in the lead up more establishment of like a wider world that this person exists in um prior to the stranding i think so that you are so when you return to it it doesn't feel like it's 
from a different thing, it feels like you're like bookending. Um, now, that having been said, when this movie came out and I liked this movie a lot, I thought it was pretty triumphant. I do remember feeling like the ending feels a little too pat. It's just it kind of felt like like Danny putting his hand a little too far to say, like, and here's the lesson. Here's the moral he learned. The coda, like the the Chiron or whatever, and the and the like real people on the couch, like that. But him getting out and yes. seeing the family and calling for help and how frantic it feels yeah. that he can't talk. Yeah, I need help. And then like the sort of time lapse that they do to like a helicopter arriving, like all of, like that had me fucking oh going. incredible. I was like. Uh, and the music for it, all of it. I was just like going through something serious during that when I the saw thing it that the gets theater. to me is when he says to them, the Swedish family, he's like, "Can one of you run ahead?" And the mother and the child run ahead, and then they find like two other hikers, and they run back, and they hand them their water bottle. And this sense of like the further they're trekking, Humanity, the more people the community is coming together. Everyone's giving him the water bottle. He's trying not to pass out. Like all that stuff. And is him really asking effective. them to do it, like that's played so well too. Of yes. like the fact that he is like a volunteer rescue worker and knows what needs to happen, like being yeah. established earlier, and him doing it in a way that's not aggressive, but it is like. Because it's also very scary, obviously, to be approached by this person. Like, you're a family. Like, you've got He's your kid with you. Covered and buddy. Looks like a zombie. Guy, it looks, yes. It yeah. looks terrifying, you know. Um, and then to be like, I'm, gonna, I'm going to ask you for more things. Like, um, in this way where I'm trying to contain myself. Of like, I need you to be fucking moving right now. <laughs> like, I'm dying. Uh, it's so intense, dude. Yes. And then the other people helping out. It's incredible. And he's right that basically the movie needs to end within three minutes of that. Like you're not yep. going to top that feeling. Yes. Coda, it's just, yes. well, I just like to, having the final, uh, title on screen of like, mm -hmm. oh, don't worry. He got married. That feels like something where Fox search. I just like, look, if you want to cut out all the emotional shit, fine. But you are not releasing this without telling the audience that this guy got married and had a kid. I'm right. like, there needs to be at least a text on screen that says that, or else people will riot. Like, you know, and, I'm and sorry. the additional this is an element of like, film. Yeah. he never stopped exploring, and now here's real footage yeah, of him right, still going no, out on expedition. Climb every mountain. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah, yeah. what happens in real you, life Aaron. is yeah. within two to three years of the release of this movie, he and that woman are divorced. He has another failed relationship after this. And in the years after yes. this, he basically talks about his like whole initial Oprah press tour, motivational, inspirational figure period. He was like, I my shit was fucked up. And basically, right. when I should have been humbled by that experience, it instead made me think I, I was invincible. invincible right. And I was basically in a manic state right. for like years where I thought yeah. nothing could fucking touch me and I could overcome uh, anything. Un understandable. Mm -hmm. Understandable. That this would completely yep. fry your brain. Like, yeah, nice yes, to acknowledge 100%. it. Yes, that it's such, it's such a, a, a long term, like a prolonged traumatic episode yes. that completely rewires your brain. Yes. Over days and days. And then that the recovery from it would be years. Right. And basically, yeah. it's just it's the mistake of this movie. Like we we covered uh, uh, Lorenzo's oil on the podcast. And I said, I couldn't believe the, the decision that movie makes that other films based on true stories don't make. 
is when they do their end title cards explaining what happened after the movie, they specifically word it as, at the time of the completion of this film. Yeah, so and smart. And they, they just lock it into, here's at the moment that we locked picture, this is where things were at, we're not claiming this is forever. That movie's stronger, I love that movie, I think it's yeah. so good. That, you know, is a story about a couple that stays together and it ends with them being together, and it you know, they got divorced like two years later because like this shit fucked you up so bad. Course, and like the course, now the yeah. movie feels a little odd. But and when you the, then check the thing the where like it doesn't need to whatever, negate you know? that reality, but it does feel no, like when no, the film no, is ending no, with whatever. a real shot of Aaron Ralston with his wife and kid, and then a real shot of him continuing to explore, and then the movie's like, and look, everything was perfect. He figured out his home life and it didn't stop his thirst for adventure. And then this guy, by his own admission, like two years later, was like, I do not know how to relate to people. And it is right. insane that I kept on going out into the face of danger. Mm -hmm. All right. I want to say, before we play the box office game, I want to sure. say one more thing about this movie that's interesting. Please. Aaron Ralston loves fish. That may not shock you to hear it. The band Fish. He's they make fun of it for him in the cave. Yeah. Right. Yep. And they really he really wanted to end the movie to end with a fish song. And Danny Boyle said, like, listen, out of respect for him, I listen to fish endlessly, <laughs> continually. Like, try clearly. Danny Boyle, who clearly has fairly like hip taste in music and like yep. Has these great soundtracks and, and eclectic and as well. Just like, like goes for all kinds of different. Hundred percent, a hundred percent, and he's just clearly like immersing himself in fish, and it's just like there's got to be some as way. Many for me of to, us have before. to get on board with this, <laughs> right? And at the end of the here. day, he was like, "I, I can't, I can't do it. I can't listen to this anymore. I can't put it in the movie." Yeah. Uh, and so they did not put fish in the movie. Do you know uh, what song he wanted to end it with? No, he did not say what song uh, he okay. wanted to. It was the, it was the cover of the two thousand one theme. Weirdly, <laughs> um, no farmhouse. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, I I yeah. I need help. I just love the Welcome, idea of Danny Boyle. Farmhouse. We have cluster flies in there. In you know where they're like. Is bad. You know, in the post production, like it's like what, what? Why is Danny in that room? He's like he's listening to fish. He's doing it all day. He just, yeah. he just, he's just trying. He's bouncing around. The room. <laughs> um, it it is funny. the The opening song in this film that plays over the opening sequence, where it's all the kind of like crazy boil, quick cutting, him getting ready to go. Mm -hmm. It's called "Never Hear Surf Music Again" by a band called Free Blood. Yes. If I had to write a parody of a song that Danny Boyle would choose mm -hmm. to put in the soundtrack of one of his films, the opening lyrics, which you hear very clearly, are "There must be some fucking chemical that makes us different from animals. Take it if it makes you numb. Take it if it makes you come. Take it if it makes you make it perfect." That just feels like every one of his movies has a song that has that attitude. Yeah, that basically screams its lyrics at you. Yeah, the yes, I, it is so soon into the film that you're thinking about um, being made to come by a chemical, <laughs> and, and and I did think like there were moments where I was like, is this way cheesier than I remembered? I thought yeah. that I liked this, and it's like, yeah, it is a little bit. Like there's yeah. stuff that just are you know immediately feels sort of dated, like, but I don't know. On the whole, it works. No, I think I think it totally works, and and also. Yeah. 
at this point, it's basically a period piece. It's like a mid 2000s vibe, this guy. And he yeah. feels right out of it. Like it feels absolutely accurate to that kind of a guy from that, that like from about 20 years ago. Absolutely. Um, which is crazy to think about. Um, this film came out, uh, did the classic festival thing, uh, premiered at Telluride, went to Toronto, had that word of mouth thing that right. was crucial, right? Like all the critics are like, look, he pulled it off. Like, you know, I feel mm-hmm. like all the reviews which were glowing mm-hmm. were basically like, yeah, the thing's compelling. Like, what can I tell yeah. you? You know, I, I, hats off to Danny Boyle. But then, but, Griffin, as you say, there's this mm-hmm. parallel thing happening. Where it's also like, and you won't believe it, people are screaming. You know, the the Princess of Wales Theater in Toronto, you know, there's a doctor on call because it's so intense. And I was anxious about seeing this movie. I was like, what the fuck? Like, how awful is this going to be? And, you know, I put people off. They went full William Castle, the tingler. Yeah. In their, like, selling of the movie. And basically the first screening was at Telluride and two people fainted. It's the altitude, you know. But Fox Searchlight was like, we're capitalizing on this. And they just decided to like commit to it wholly. And then it just sort of escalated. Like it started to, it felt like it became uh, a self-fulfilling prophecy. But there was another screening, maybe at Toronto, where someone had to be taken out in a gurney. Like it did almost feel like matinee style theater someone's arm fell off people vomit and then like <laughs> in the screen but then people were writing articles someone thought about jerking off but then didn't so actually that was not a problem they held back no um, but they, like people were writing articles I, like bo- like saying it as like almost the challenge of i think it was more that yes by the way guys write write to blank check if you if, just as a general question mm. Have you tried to jerk off to the scene where he tries to jerk off? (laughs) (laughs) And only tried. I don't want to hear if you did it. I just want to hear if you thought it. Don't need to know. That's your personal business. I'm not being invasive. (laughs) And follow-up question. Follow-up question. Did you try to jerk off to our discussion of that scene? Mm -hmm. Oh, sure. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Fantasy within a fantasy. Uh, I Griffin, I think it was more the feverish awards bloggers that were yes. focused. Because yes. like, the advertising was very triumphant, true story, right? Like very heavy on the like, you can't, well, oh my God, the human spirit, blah, blah, blah. Like they were they were hitting that too. Uh, the Huffington Post wrote uh, that in an article in November 2010, uh, the film has gotten audiences fainting, vomiting, and worse in numbers unseen since the exorcist and the movie has not even hit theaters yet that was sort of like right. the the thing that yes a lot of more the oscar bloggers and whatever we're saying the thing i do remember that felt like the moment where they just made their decision and fucked it up was at a certain point fox searchlight started distributing shirts that said i survived 127 hours uh sure oh, right yes they did that that was like swag that they sent out that felt like they're trying to own it now, and Grow it, it yeah, it it did it did become what you're talking about, where I think a lot of people went like, oh, if it's that fucked up, then I don't want to watch it. It's a roller coaster. No, it's a movie. It's a movie. It's a movie. It's ninety five minutes. He, he he cuts his arm off. There's some blood. It's yeah. like you could see this in an episode of yeah, ER, and it's visceral. Yeah. Like it's yeah. not yes. that crazy. It's visceral. It's intense, but. I mean, yeah. The arm anyway. cutting is less than five but minutes of the movie. Shouts to ER. <laughs> I mean, hey, you know, I saw some fucked up, fucked up stuff on ER when I was a kid. Um, right. 
The movie made its budget back domestically, $18 million. It made another 40 worldwide, you know, so 60 million was its take. Like, you know, whatever. I remember, Griffin, that when it got a bunch of Oscar nominations, being a little surprised. Like, we all figured Franco was getting in there. Yeah. But when it got, like, it snuck into Best Picture and it got a screenplay nomination. That was the first year of the 10. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe the second year, I think. No, it's the second year of the 10. Oh, you're right. You're right. Oh, nine's the second. But yes, no, it went from being like, this movie's a juggernaut. He's going to mm-hmm. get Best Director easily to then it feeling like it waned a little bit and then it kind of surged a tad at the last minute. And you're like, all right, people liked it. Like, people, you know, voters were generally moved by it. Yes. Um, but uh, obviously didn't win anything uh, yeah. at the Oscars. It was a big Oscar year for, you know, whatever. Um. Let's do the box office game. All right, this film, this film, it's just a great box office game, Griffin. This film yep. came out November fifth, two thousand ten. How limited uh, release? Okay, what was the widest it went? So the widest it ever went was it got to about a thousand screens. Okay, in late January. So that's like I think when the Best Picture nomination comes in. It's very. Very classic yeah. searchlight, slow build release, you know. And to, it ended up at like 15? 18. 18 million okay. dollars. Which, like, in, if you put it in perspective, is a good number for a guy cuts his arm off movie. But I think they had this yeah. moment where they were like, is this thing going to cross over? Yeah. Is this thing going to make whatever? 50, 60? Right. I don't know. But, yeah. but it didn't. But okay, Griffin, number one at the box office. Mm-hmm. It's new. It's an animated film. November 2010. Um two major stars above the title i feel like two major stars Actually, you know what mm? five big stars above the title including one of you know sean's sean's roastmaster friend jonah okay. hill okay so film. jonah hill is this the movie mastermind the movie is not called mastermind what's it called <laughs> oh i always You're get close. the title wrong it's called megamind megamind i feel like this is a forgotten film like uh, I feel like no one talks about this like brief like it's a Paramount animated film. Well, is it, it was it DreamWorks. It DreamWorks? Yeah, because there were those years where DreamWorks kept on changing yeah, distributors. Right. Uh, it, it, some past episode, this was relitigated by our listeners. Some past episode, Megamind came up, and you and I both said "fuck Megamind," despite not having seen it. We apparently had a lot of ire for Megamind. I and I I watched it. Over a kid's shoulder at an okay. auto shop when I like hit a you know like when I had a flat and I had to like uh-huh. sit for an hour while they changed my tire or something. That is when I saw Megamind. Sean, have you seen Megamind? Haven't seen Megamind. Although I am now. There's so many of these animated films that I I didn't watch that I am just at the very 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 mm. beginning of starting to see some of them via. Uh, yeah, my son, yeah, which I have always child. been excited for, mm-hmm. that I like didn't right, feel right. a lot of you pressure can, like, catch up. to watch these movies, even if I thought they might be good, because it's just like, oh, well, I just walk in and it's like, okay, dude's watching like Madagascar, and it's like, okay, <laughs> great, like I'll do that. If I had seen it, you know, I watched a a scene from the Penguins of Madagascar with my mm. daughter the other day, yeah. yeah, and I was like, this shit's funny. People like, Burr love, Herzog was love in that it. one, yeah, yeah. Like there were there were gags. There was a lot of sort of visual humor. It was working for me. I, I saw. I watched a little bit of Sing Two the other day. 
Hey, they're they're singing some good songs. <laughs> <laughs> David, just it, don't get me started on the different timelines of the Madagascar franchise you've, when you've, we're already done 120 that done hours that rant. in. That's what Griff, I'm saying. You've done that. Rant. I said, don't get me started. All right. I well, I'm not trying to now. Number one at the box. Mega office, Mind. Mega I just want to say, I feel like has a weird cult following with the generation that saw that at the right age, and I feel like in particular, yes, the Jonah Hill character has a lot of life as a meme now. I feel like I see the face of the Jonah Hill Mega Mind character getting circulated online a lot. I think Despicable Me ate its lunch. It did. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's what happened. Megamind had no minions. Nope. Right. It didn't have anyone cute. And so while the movie may be good, maybe better than Despicable Me, but it did not have that thing. Sean, you are not going to believe what I'm about to tell you. You are correct that Megamind had no minions, but it did, in fact, have David Cross playing one singular character named Minion, and this was I can picture their him. I can picture fatal him. robot monkey with a fishbowl head. This mm-hmm. was their fatal mistake. They said, stop at oh, one. Oh, yeah, he was the fish. We don't need multiple right, Minions. Right. We yes. needed Just two one. more Minions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Implying the existence of many, obviously. <laughs> yes. Right, because there's also monsters versus aliens. I feel like post-Incredibles, there were a lot of these like, okay, can we do these kind of throwback comic booky sort of but in my mind it's like we're going Uh, from the perspective of this villain largely right like isn't that uh, i don't know he's the main character that it's like despicable me and megamind are like we're in we we're following the villain and making them a sympathetic character and they're actually not that bad and there's something worse like i feel it without having seen either one of them this is my impression of them the the pitch on megamind was megamind was developed by ben stiller to star him and Robert Downey Jr. And the idea was, I will play the world's worst supervillain. Or maybe that was the Downey part. But uh, he ends up successfully killing his arch nemesis, the Superman character. And then it's this guy having an emotional crisis when he doesn't know what to do with himself. And through like four years of development, neither of those guys were involved in the movie. And the superhero never dies. And it's just about him retiring for a bit. And it very much became a, he's maybe not all that bad movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, okay, that tracks. Anyway, made made $150 million at the yeah. U.S. box office. It was not not a flop by no. any means. No. Right. Um, number two, Griffin, is also new this week. It is an uh, acidic comedy hmm. starring an actor you literally just mentioned. Due date. It's due date with RDJ. And Zach Galifianakis. A movie I still and a dog defend thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean, do you have due date thoughts? Yeah, I think I didn't see it. Good yeah, thought. Good thinking. Good thinking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And uh, I and I feel like there was some trailer moment that I like went to quote immediately upon it being mentioned, but is not coming to mind. But some line or something. <sighs> God what was the it. big line in the trailer? Yeah, wasn't there like a big quote from the trailer of like, Galifianakis has a gun or something? I, I, I don't know. There's definitely something with a gun. They're guns. Uh, yeah, I've heard of Shakespeare. He was a famous pirate. I remember that line. Good jokes. Uh, Diane Jr. says, I hate you on a cellular level, which mm-hmm. I've always thought I is a good that. insult. Uh, I think he feeds his dog a waffle. 
and the dog sneezes, mm-hmm. and then he says he's allergic to waffles. I think that happens. I don't know. I, once again, I like this movie. Mm-hmm. David, what's number yeah, three sure, at the box sure. office? Number three at the box office is also new this week. I just mm. want to point out, all these films are opening pretty well. Like, yeah. I think Due Date was seen as like a come down from The Hangover, but like... It made $100 million. You know, it's opening at 32 It made yeah. $100 million. Yeah. This is um, a serious effort from mm-hmm. a director who had not been taken seriously. It's okay. his... Uh, his sort of Oscar play. It's a, it doesn't work in it that doesn't regard. Work. And then what happens to him after no. this? He goes back to silly bullshit. He goes back to making the stuff he's always made uh, okay. to great financial success. Okay. Uh, and huh. he remains one of the most powerful and important people in Hollywood. It's not Michael Bay. It's not McGee. No. Bigger than that. Mogul status. Mogul status. Yeah. Uh, there, there's nobody like this and there's no movie like this. There's In nobody like it's really this. Weird. There's no movie like it's this. It's a really. It's a. It's a. Is it? Is it? Uh, is it? Is it? Is it for colored girls? It's for colored girls Thank by you. Tyler Perry. It's yes. a hard movie. To, it's basically. Yes. It's like what if someone who is an undeniably commercial filmmaker, yeah. but makes a very specific kind of movie, tried to adapt an incredibly sensitive and incredibly complicated theatrical work mm-hmm. that is like one of the towering pieces of African-American theater in this mm-hmm. from the, like the seventies with an and, all-star cast and uh, with an all-star cast and like, you know, m- mounted for Oscar success and you watch it and you're like, Oh, it's bad. Okay. I guess I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised by that, <laughs> right. but like everyone briefly was sort of like, I don't know, maybe Tyler Perry's got, uh, an Oscar movie in them? The like, moment I, you know, that movie knows? was like, announced and with that cast and the Best Picture field had expanded to 10, I remember so many people being like, well, that will get in as the 10th nominee. Right. It's sort of... With 10 nominees, know. there's room for that. And then everyone saw it and no one thought about it ever again. Yeah. Like, God bless him. He took on this really difficult work. It's an it's a great, you know, play. Mm-hmm. And it, he opened it to $20 million. Like, Absolutely. I don't know, you know, like, it's... Yeah. It's kind of crazy to think about that that movie played that big, but uh, it didn't work. I don't know what what a what a time. No, you're uh, right. Then he Hollywood. never tries anything like that ever again. Never. He was like, all right, forget it, forget it. I won't do that again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Although now he's doing a World War II movie. Uh, sure. Yeah. I yeah. I don't know. Whatever. I, don't know. I mean, whatever. Okay. He's still working. Yeah. He's not. A, yeah. Not. He's only in his early fifties. Um, he's got a style. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Those TV shows are the most insane. Oh. Yes. The TV shows are the craziest. What's the show? You got to say what the show He's is. Got there's too many. The, well, the, 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 the like Oval Office one or whatever is the one that the I Oval. Like I've seen. Yeah. Big, the like, Oval. Chunks. Yeah. Yeah, the Oval. That one's wild. There's 91 episodes of that show. That is one of, I want to count it, <laughs> like nine shows that he currently yes. has on the he air. He has nine shows presently running. But he's the writer and director of every single episode. Correct. That is his every claim. Let's show. be clear. That is his claim. <laughs> I, I, I he understand. Is, he is the credited writer credited and director. Writer and director on each individual episode of nine currently running TV shows. The Oval, Sisters, uh, Bra, 
assisted living. Like, I, oh, some of them he's actually finally stepped back from. I think he's about to buy BET, just like. Correct. He's it just seems like that's it. about to happen. T- right. uh, Tyler Perry's Young Dylan, which is apparently a Nickelodeon show. I don't know who old Dylan is. It feels like a young Sheldon well, without well. Sheldon having existed first. Well, you know, I don't know. It sounds I have a good. joke now where I call the Big Bang Theory old Sheldon. <laughs> <laughs> And he's old. You guys you crusty. seen old Sheldon? Yeah. He's, good. <laughs> he's getting up there. Um, number four at the box office, Griffin, mm-hmm. is a uh, a solid action comedy hit. Okay. Solid uh, with action With a bunch of movie hit. stars in it. 2010. Uh, it gets a sequel. It's going to make red. about $200 million worldwide. It's Red. 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 With Bruce solid. Willis. Kind yeah. of... Is it kind of the last Willis vehicle that isn't like, you know, um, glass, like something kind of where he's sort of only a quasi lead? Like, yeah, I think that's the last one that is feels there any other, like, kind of legitimate. But it was also that era where suddenly movies need to have six stars instead of one star. He is yeah, the guy in it. I guess he mm-hmm. did. He did Die Hard 5 after that. Yeah. Oh, sure. But, but even, yeah. I mean, Red, and he did Looper. Oh sure. Oh yeah, Looper. I mean, Looper. That He's that's so the year. Man. Looper and Moonrise are like his two final great performances. What yeah. is Red good? Red's okay. I watch it. Red's super okay. It's, it yeah, seems like I would okay. watch it. I'm kind of surprised I haven't seen it. I'll say this though: like Red Two, you're like, maybe I undervalued Red. It's one of those movies where you watch yeah. Red 2 and you're like, maybe Red was a little harder to pull off. I should give them a little more credit. Yeah. They really had something with Red. Uh, <laughs> they, they had and They have since lost it. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Red 2 fans coming for us. <laughs> oh, God, those Red 2 fans are crazy. Yeah. And they're like, Mary Louise Parker, you know, Anthony Hopkins showed up for this yeah. one. Right? Yeah. I've seen that one. Um, okay. Number five at the box office, because mm-hmm. uh, I need to go to bed. My God, um, okay. is mm-hmm. it's Griff? It's November fifth, the weekend before was Halloween. It was our big Halloween movie. It's dropped okay. four spots. It's dropped four spots since Halloween. It's not a saw. It is a saw. It is a saw. Which saw what? is it? Is this is this final chapter? Is this three D or is there one yes, more? Yes, it is. No, it is Saw 3D, the final yes. chapter. That's technically uh, seven. Saw seven. Right. Yes. Okay. Um, where the poster, and I remember this well because I was mm-hmm. like, what is going on with this franchise? The poster is like Jigsaw being built by like a big scaffolding. Do you remember oh, this? Sh- <laughs> I'm looking yeah. at it. They should like not have giant... done that. <laughs> that yeah, I, I remember thinking that was a bad idea. <laughs> I was like, guys, Jigsaw is not nice. Like, we should not, we should not make him bigger. bigger. We shouldn't rebuild him. Like, if he's a part, that's a good thing. I remember being really frustrated. You just you would see the poster for the new saw, and it would be yeah. like a bunch of blades, you right. know, in like an operating mm-hmm. theater, and you'd be yes. like, "Yeah, okay, sure, okay, they're still <laughs> right. doing yeah. that." Right. And then I just remember seeing this poster that's like yeah. a scaffolding, the size of like it's going to launch a Saturn rocket. It's yes. like what, what? What? Wait! 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 What happened? <laughs> I remember being mad at Obama during that. You yeah. were mad. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Because he'd just come into office and you're like, what the fuck? Like, Jigsaw's supposed to be gone, not yeah. back. Like, Not not back and bigger <sighs> than ever. 
<laughs> yeah. That pissed me off. Um so that is that is the final saw for a while and then mm-hmm. they they tried to revive it with jigsaw and that didn't right. work and then they tried again with spiral and that kind of didn't work and now saw X is on right. the way this year. Is essentially the third so time the to try sucks. to reboot Saw since twenty. Yeah, can we? Saw can X. we? Like, can we sort of catch? Yeah, yeah. Uh, some other movies: Griff, Paranormal Activity Two, which mm-hmm. is kind of eating Saw Saw's lunch. You know, yeah. that's like the new thing. Uh, you got Jackass Three D, which is a wonderful film. Uh, yeah, perfect film, great American film. Right. You've got Secretariat, which is one of those movies that no one remembers, but actually. You know, made like sixty million dollars. Actually, kicked ass. Yeah, <laughs> actually, fucking showed everyone who's boss, and it's not unlike its namesake. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was kind of the secretariat of movies, doing laps around all the movies you do remember. Yeah, uh, like I've have you seen Secretariat, Griffin? I never saw no. Secretariat. No, no, no. I should have. Um, I should have. Yeah. I saw Sea Biscuit. That was enough for me. Yeah, yeah. It's it's Malkovich and Diane Lane. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna right. I'm gonna Just... post this in the chat. But there's one production still of um, Secretariat that I love and have never forgotten. Um, okay, hold on. I'll I'll uh, post please. for you guys. But keep going please. through the the box office. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then uh, let's see. Uh, Hereafter, Clint Eastwood's bizarre uh, tsunami psychic movie. Hereafter, starring Matt mm-hmm. Damon. Uh, one of those movies he just he just like low key made in between right. giant hits, where you're like, huh? <laughs> like, wait, wait, what? What? And Clint's like, I don't know. Enjoy it if you like it, I guess. Look, if you're busy, you're busy. You know. I, it's- <laughs> <laughs> My favorite thing is they interviewed Peter Morgan, who wrote it, and they were like, Hereafter was kind of a weird one, and he was like. That was I. I submitted a first draft, and then the, the next thing I was told was like Matt Damon's in it. Clint it's start wrapped. shooting next weekend. <laughs> I didn't even fucking revise it. Yes, Clint just read that and was like, "Sure, let's do this." Tsunami that, psychics, I love it. That one take only <laughs> philosophy extended to the script this time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, number ten at the box office, The Social Network. The uh, oh sure. The, the, the the great film of 2010. Mm-hmm. <sighs> That's it. Okay, let's see what this little picture you've sent. Okay. <laughs> this I'm is funny. Give me credit. It was worth. The oh wait. yeah, I'm looking at this secretary uh, photo and I'm enjoying it. I just remember seeing this photo and thinking to myself, "Oh, I'm gonna see that." And here we are, 13 years yeah. later. I have made no progress in watching Secretariat. I see that photo and I go, oh man, a, a, a bee flying by would have a field day with either of their mouths. <laughs> All right, we'll make, we'll make sure we'll Marie make sure tweets this Marie photo posts out. The, it's a good photo, yeah. Uh, Randall Wallace's Secretariat. I think, is it the last movie he ever directed? Oh, no, possibly? he made Heaven no. is for Real. Oh, fuck. Heaven mm. is for Real about uh, Burpo. God, God, Remember? God, God. What was his name? Colleen Burpo? What was his name? Colton Burpo? Todd, Todd, Todd Burpo's the dad and Colton okay. Burpo's the Colton kid who went Burpo. to heaven. Yeah. Colton incredible Burpo. family. An incredible family. Oh, the Burpos. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that's how, that's how God tests you. Yes. I'm going to prove yeah. that Heaven's yeah. Real, but only to a family named Burpo. So you sort of... <laughs> Can't take it seriously. Can't take him seriously at all. 
Uh, Sean, Flagrant Ones, Hollywood Handbook. Flagrant Ones, Hollywood Handbook. Um, yeah, check that stuff out. Hollywood Handbook's a podcast. Subscribe to it anywhere. Flagrant Ones is the name of our Patreon where we have that show and uh, basketball show and um, the pro version and Carl is playing video games, live streaming. There's uh, more stuff there for you. And uh, thanks for having me, guys. Hey. Flagrant's my favorite podcast, basically. Uh, so that's so to, nice. To, 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 uh, week, weekly joy. Yeah. Uh, and you're one of those people where where I feel like recently more and more you've started watching movies along with the podcast. And I always get so excited when you uh, text your your movie thoughts to me. Oh, well, I, I appreciate that. I, yeah. I I feel licensed to do that, but please. <laughs> it's no, no, hopefully. No. I'm glad to hear it's not annoying. But yes, I often, I think like when you were doing the Fosse stuff, I watched Star yes. 80 and was like, basically live texting you throughout the entire experience but i loved it and i loved listening to it um reminds me i'm gonna text you a a good eric roberts thing after this uh but yes no you i i i I love getting your your movie takes and i also love uh when you text me non-repeatable uh anecdotes about people involved in movies yeah well and as we uh yes um I, i i like that too yeah. Um and uh and occasionally I have those. I like to collect those if I can. And and I have an Eric Roberts one for you too and we'll we'll Great. Talk okay. About so we'll that. swap Eric Roberts stories. Fantastic. Great, great, great. Uh thank you for coming on and thank you all for listening and of course thank you most of all to my parents and siblings. This is what Ben told me to do in the outro. I am selling Ben off the river. He sent me a DM that said, thank your parents and siblings in the outro. Uh, So thank you to uh, Peter uh, Newman, uh, Antonia Dauphin, Romilly Newman, and James Newman. Uh, This ordeal of recording over uh, 125 hours has really made me uh, appreciate them and realize I should spend less time podcasting and more time uh, <laughs> playing chopsticks with my family. Thank you all for listening. No, too bad. Got to get your Steve Jobs Blu-ray. We're, yeah. we're, you know, okay. we're going. I'll go, we're going straight into it. Uh, uh, yep. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media helping to produce the show. Uh, JJ Birch for our research. Leigh Montgomery and the Great American Owl for our theme song. AJ McKeon, Alex Barron for our editing. Pat Reynolds, Joe Bowen for our artwork. You can go to blankcheckpod.com for some links to some real nerdy shit, including our Patreon, uh, Blank Check Special Features, where we do franchise commentaries and other bonus episodes, such as Danny Boyle's Olympic Ceremony, his opening ceremony, which will be coming soon to the Patreon. If you want to listen along to that, Ben sent me another private message that said, now drink piss. I don't have piss, but I have (laughs) urine-colored kombucha I'll drink while doing this outro. Tune in next week for Trance, one of the most normal movies ever made. Uh, Yeah, that's a chill one. Returning guest Nia DaCosta, the great Nia DaCosta, uh, on for that episode. Uh, Good app. It's a good app. It's a good app. Uh, And as always, uh, Ben, I realize we came in two hours short of our goal runtime, so I need to filibuster for the remaining two hours, okay? Great. Okay, uh, so he, uh, producer Ben, aka the Ben Deucer, aka, uh,